My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back to the men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine, or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have mine, you have yours. You might want to yours only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it will be used to you at a particular t- and then if you go out of that, t- it scrambles to uh, a d- and it doesn't a d- fast enough. So it's better to just set it up. Oh, and okay. It, do- it really doesn't work well. So I checked. Right. Uh, I checked my. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, my. Pr- it definitely built build me for the hotel for all three of us. Join back to the bins every week for goodness. Solomon Grundy hate voiceovers. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. If you think you're safe at warp, you're wrong. Welcome to a special fifth Monday episode of Two True Freaks. Um, I don't. I, I want to say something monthly Monday, but it's not. It's fifth week monthly Monday, and I am joined today by Paul Spataro. Hey, and we're gonna do something. And you know, I should have done my homework. And it's a it's a pain in the ass on Facebook because somebody said it in the the comment that it was on is somewhere way down the feed so I, I couldn't find it right away. But somebody suggested this. And I think it was Jason Ritter actually. Okay. If my memory is right. And um, I immediately saw it and, and the idea was a commentary for Star Trek Into Darkness which I immediately was like Ooh, I'd like to do that but then I thought well, Scott wouldn't really be into it. He hasn't seen the movie, and if we did a commentary, it would be his first viewing. So he couldn't really comment comment on it. He'd be too busy watching it. But, <laughs> or, or not watching it. <laughs> or not watching it. Either way, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be fair as a watching or as a commentary. So we brought in someone who likes the movie. Paul's that? That's you, Paul Spitaro. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. I did like the movie. I forgot. You're usually Mr. Negative on all our review shows. <laughs> Am I? Am I not, not really. I think just I'm, a, I'm just on a curve if we were grading it on a curve. On, on Pacific Rim, I was Mr. Negative because I only liked it. I didn't love it. Uh, but I, I find that that's, that's my pet peeve this year on uh, movie reviews. And, and it's, it's mostly internet driven. Is I feel like everything that comes out has well, to be a the best. Well, you were a with Wolverine, or, too. I thought I was right in the pack. 
I don't think I was. I didn't think I liked it more or less than than everybody else. I don't know. But like like I said, I, th- I think that the the popular conception is everything has to be either the best or the worst, and mm-hmm. I don't think this. I don't think this movie is the best, and I don't think it's the worst. But I enjoyed it. I liked it. I found it to be entertaining. I watched it to get ready to do this with you. Uh, yeah, me too. I'm, I can't say I have any notes in front of me. I'm still just going to be doing it off the cuff with you. But I have reviewed it to to kind of crystallize my opinions on things, uh, and I still like it. You know, I, I thought it might be one of these things where, on a second viewing, looking with a more critical eye, I wasn't going to like it, but I still like it. Well, <laughs> this is our third Into Darkness podcast. The first one was a review when the movie came out. Then the second one was me griping about uh, the writer who had his. You know, uh, you can you can just go and listen to that five minute freak if you if you want to <laughs> catch up on that. Just don't do it in front of children. And it was very, yes, it was very emotional, and it was pretty much just a, a obscene, obscenity-filled rant, which in some ways I felt bad about because I like addressing stuff in a rational, <laughs> semi-rational, you know, friendly manner. But that just, I was very angry, and I decided to strike. But this gives me the opportunity to take my complaints and instead of being a you know the standard like oh this sucks blah 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 I'll be able to just sort of maybe use some of my film school learning to to pick apart why it is that I was so upset yeah I'm sure I'm, I'm, with this. I'm sure you'll be able to, to pinpoint some things and I, I'm not going to argue with you that the movie is flawless because there are some deep flaws and we'll get more into oh. it while we're watching it but but I, I think, you know, from from a pure movie making point of view, yeah, you'll be able to find some things, no question. Uh, I found the Robert Orsi statements to be bothersome too, despite the fact that I liked the movie, because I just think it's incredibly pretentious of people in a certain profession to pretend that they are above criticism because you as a layperson can't judge their work unless you actually do it for a living, which is just a load of crap. Right. You know, it's, it's the same thing. Professional athletes do that. People criticize how they play the game. Well, you can't say anything. You never played the game. But I know, you know, a good football player from a bad one, and I know a good baseball player from a bad one. I don't have to have played to be able to judge whether or not somebody right. has talent. Right. And I don't have to be a writer to understand if, if something is well written. Oh, Definitely. It's, uh, you know, I, I mean, if if you taste some food and it tastes like crap, does that mean, you know, that it doesn't taste like crap because you're not a chef? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of extreme. Or vice versa. But, but it's true. Yeah. It's absolutely, the, the uh, uh, you know, a, uh, it's on point. Yeah. That, that, but they try, you know, somehow they try to escape criticism by saying, well, if, you know, if you could do better, you would. Uh, maybe I can't do better, but I guarantee you there's a writer out there who can. Yes, I get, I'll, I'll say this. I could do better than this. <laughs> I'll say it. Not having any Star Trek, not being, not being an active writer, having any Star. I'll, I'll, I'll be pretentious and I'll say it. But that's gonna be sort of my thesis tonight: is the writing. That's what I'm gonna focus on, and I'll go into it more when we, uh, when we get going. But uh, this is a long one. This movie's two hours and twelve minutes and twenty-five seconds long. 
Yeah, so we should probably jump into it because the same talk that we're having right now, we can have while we can the have movie while, is rolling. While I'm sure there's going to be points where we're going to hit on specifics. Oh yeah. <laughs> so um, so we got the we got the um video queued up on zero, and uh, I will do the uh, the the countdown, and when I say go, hit play, and we will begin Star Trek Into Darkness. Three, two. One, go. And now you should be seeing the little stars skimming above the water, heading towards Indiana Jones's mountain. Now at this at this point. I was, well, when I went to see this movie, I was a bit already pissed off because I'd been spoiled with a lot of stuff. So I was sort of here going, okay, is this going to be true? And I was pissed. Well, I was spoiled uh, by you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like abuse. It just keeps, it, it keeps getting passed along. Yeah. Well, that was you know what I, I try not to be spoiled in movies because I do generally enjoy them more if I'm not, but I didn't find that that was a, a huge problem in this. It, you know, that that is the one aspect. What what you spoiled me on is the one aspect of the movie that I really didn't care for. So it didn't matter to me that I was spoiled on it because if I hadn't been spoiled, I still wouldn't have cared for it. So it didn't make a difference. Now here's the the one sequence that they showed that this was released before the movie came out is like a ten minute clip on YouTube so you could you could see it. Yeah, I, I had seen it beforehand. Now when I watch this one, like all the red, I find it to be like really striking, and I'm of two minds because on the one hand I think it's kind of cool looking, but on the other hand I feel like it looks very CGI. It looks very kind of fakey. But I like it, and and as a matter of fact, this is something one of my little criticism, like just minor quibbles about the film, is you start out with this bright, colorful scenery and imagery, and once this movie gets going, there's no bright colors at all. They're just yeah, it, it does kind of get very dark after this but throughout the whole movie i thought the cinematography was really strong i thought it looked it was a really pretty movie in some ways in some ways this uh, i'll give you this sequence is i i really like it they sort of give it a little raiders of the lost ark james bond beginning you know you, you start it in the middle of an adventure and a very star trek adventure where you have Spock is solving a problem using science and Kirk is is on the you know physical aspect of it which is and and one thing I've noticed a lot of people who've reviewed this movie and I've heard talking about it I don't think they really understood what was going on in this beginning sequence cuz I heard a lot of people you know questioning why Kirk would would you know let these guys chase him and he's he's trying to make them chase him he obviously he stole their sacred scroll so he could get them away from the volcano so they wouldn't get killed right right and uh and 
it's it's weird. I just remember reading a lot of reviews and people saying, "Well, that doesn't make any sense at all," and it it, it actually it it does kind of make sense. Yeah, that, oh, that that I didn't have any issue with at all. And in, in fact, this whole sequence I don't have a problem with. Uh, I mean, we're coming up now soon on the point where you uh, where you see the Enterprise underwater, and people a lot of people had a lot of criticism of that. Uh, I, I thought it was kind of a cool sequence, and I you know I. Obviously, I'm not a scientist, but uh, I would think if you make a ship so that it could handle being in deep space, the pressures of it, the air tightness of it, well, why couldn't it go underwater? It's two different things. Which, I understand that space it's two is different a vacuum. Things, space is a vacuum, and it's pulling outwards from the atmosphere within, whereas water it's put, yeah, it's put is outward is, pressure. Coming yeah, in. and you're dealing with hundreds of tons on the hull and stuff like that. I so, would think either way you'd be dealing with... You'd have to have incredibly strong. It's yeah, walls. And, and I don't have a problem with the science, the quote-unquote science behind it, because they don't even bother to to address it. And so you just have to assume that the materials that they make an enterprise out of are strong enough to with. And I I can totally accept that, you know. And here we go with the, the huge change in color as soon as they go for the water. You lose all that red now. That's it. Yeah, it's gone. But and, and Scotty even addresses it uh, coming up here where he talks about the uh, the salt water and how it's uh, corroding. That, yeah, corroding at the, at the ship. It just to to me it was a little silly. It was it was it was a little unnecessary and silly. Um, I mean the 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 Enterprise could maintain orbit, you know, and and send a shuttlecraft down and stuff. It's yeah, the the distance <laughs> could have. Yeah, uh, the the you know this is just sort of a novelty thing. They're gonna, they're like we're gonna add to the whole thing that you know an enterprise can go into water. It's fine with me. Obviously, it was kind of it wasn't you know they, this isn't something unusual because they've got an airlock that's made to drain water out of it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's. So, although, although I guess it could be interchangeable even with you know in the vacuum of space. No, you wouldn't drain because you. No, yeah, no, you would be you would be putting air. air in, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, unless they did massive reconstruction for this one mission, I very much doubt it because I, I, it seems to me that like they wouldn't even go underwater unless they were trying to save the volcano. So this this is part of Kirk's scheme is what got the Enterprise underwater. I'm I'm assuming. Um, it's funny the name Nibiru is uh is a loaded planet name too because there's a lot of conspiracy theorists who ha have a whole uh they, um scale I'll refer you to uh, the last freak files with Pat Broderick there's a whole Oh yeah yeah that's Nibiru. right. You know what I, I I never made that connection but now that you mentioned it with Pat Brod Broderick it it does now now I now I know where I've heard it before. Mm -hmm. When this movie came out, everybody was on his Facebook page, just like, "Hey, man, did you hear it?" So he's like, "I haven't seen it, but I've heard." Now the the Nibiru uh, aliens to me look like they made a paper mache. The the makeup on them just looks kind of weird. I, I don't know. It, it it appears to me like they've just put just layers and layers of face paint on. You know, they they just cake themselves in maybe like colored mud or something. 
Okay, so you you don't think that that's supposed to be their skin? That's, no, I think they're that's think an they're, they're, they're like war paint. You know, they're in their okay. Real. So, and then Spock like, here in in this outfit is uh, reminiscent of uh, the Tholian web, I think. Yeah, yeah. Ready, ready to ready to meet that death head on. It reminds me of Razal Ghul and Batman Begins, and and um, Obi Wan in uh, Episode One. I was thinking about uh, Obi Wan and, and uh, Anakin fighting in Episode Three. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of Star Wars in this movie. Absolutely, and it, it you know, despite all the criticism, I think it's given people a lot of confidence that Abrams can handle Star Wars. See, that's why I think their skin is all cracked like that. It's just, it's just layers and layers of little, little similar to look yeah. to the uh, to the uh, I forget now what what the name was in Insurrection. The uh, the aliens that that left the planet and aged. Oh, it's been so long since I've seen that. The Baku. Baku. You see, if the Enterprise could have parked about a mile out and and <laughs> avoided a lot of that, yeah, it made it a lot harder for them to to spot him. It is a somewhat convenient plot point. Also, and a lot of criticism on the cold fusion. That's just, just now. That's just dumb. That's dumb, an dumb in, inaccurate case. use of the scientific term. Yeah, that would be something like if I was writing it, I would use it just till we thought of some better name for it, you know, like a some sort of crystallization bomb or something like that, you know, because yeah. that's just not what, unless the, the definition of cold fusion has changed in the intervening se uh, centuries. <laughs> now, how, how far in the future is this supposed to be? Is it, what is it, the 23rd century? Okay, because... I mean, much later on when we get to Khan, uh, they talk about uh, the people being in cryogenic stasis for 300 years. And I was just wondering about where that puts them. Okay, and the men are worshipping the Enterprise, which is now in space. Now, I mean, the Prime Directive never seemed to be a problem in original Trek. Eh, you violated it, so what? I, you never saw anybody really get in trouble for it, but, uh... I mean, they created a freaking Nazi planet. <laughs> yeah, but that guy paid with his life. <laughs> that guy didn't make it off Nazi planet, so... So maybe he might have gone to trial. Maybe they all just the trials were all off-screen or something like that. Kirk certainly didn't seem to face uh, the number of court-martials that he probably should have. Now this this whole sequence with the couple with the baby, uh, it served its purpose narratively. That you know I understood what they were trying to show and all, uh, but I, I kind of got the feeling that they were looking for almost that feel from the movie Up, in that montage sequence where basically yes. it broke everybody's heart. I think you know that the whole silence here and just showing the scenes and, and not actually having any any audio to it other than the music in the background. I kind of felt that that's the feeling that they were going for, and I think it really fell short. I, I, you know, like I said, narratively it gave the story, but it never really pulled at my heartstrings. Despite the sick child, I like it when they do this. So I like it when they tell the story without exposition. They let you figure out what's going on, or enough of what's going on. So 
that you uh you know now of course it seems better now because i know exactly what's going on here Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i i i like that they just sort of did a little narrative shorthand and told the story in in pictures more but yeah you're but the thing about it is it just sort of happens here it's just this one sequence you know it's like this isolated sequence in the whole movie which is heavily (laughs) heavily full of exposition to explain things and uh i wish they could have just continued with it it would have it wouldn't have stood out as being the separate thing and that might be the problem with it for me that it's such a stark change Mm -hmm from every other aspect of the storytelling in this movie that it just doesn't seem to fit. Now, this actor, I'm not a Doctor Who fan, as has already been documented, uh, but he's a Doctor Who actor, isn't he? I, that's what I've heard. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, some, it's some version of Doctor Who or season of Doctor Who that I have not seen. So I didn't recognize him at all, but I guess there were a lot of people very excited... Especially that he and Cumberbatch were were together, you know, the two two British. Now Cumberbatch, uh, you know, I was familiar with him from uh, Sherlock Holmes or Sherlock, uh, which is excellent. Now I was I was a little surprised here, like when I first saw this scene of them with with them at Star Starfleet Academy, and you know Kirk isn't wearing his hat and Spock is, and I kind of thought they were going to show how uptight. Spock is because I figured no one else would have their hats on and yet everybody does so really what they're showing is how Kirk is the one guy who doesn't follow the rules right right I thought it was I thought it was exactly the opposite until they started showing the other people around them but saying Bruce Greenwood is excellent as Captain Pike he's my favorite I I I would have loved to see this as a, as I say over and over again, TV show with him as a captain and him training these guys. It would have been just great. Yeah, I mean, and you, I mean, you could have gotten away with it too, because going into this, I don't know anybody who really knew who Chris Pine was. Mm-hmm. So you get a guy like him, you cast him as Kirk, you get him to a you know a multi year contract for a TV show, and you build him up from. Starfleet Academy to the point where he's ready to take the captain seat, almost uh, Smallville style. Right. And, 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 you know, you work through it, and then eventually you get to the point where you're able to reboot the movie with the, the cast. But by going right into the movies, now he's got name recognition and he's got negotiating power. I doubt you could get him to, to go for a TV show anymore. Unless he was really into it, you know? Yeah. I, I just... Yeah, so, you know, I, I at this point in the movie theater, I had gone in with a chip on my shoulder, and I was going, okay, this is working so far as Adventure Trek, you know, as it's a little shallow. Um, the characters are a little um, talking in mar- modern parlance, but it works in, in, the, in the context that it's in. But if they put these guys in a TV show, they would be forced to actually do science fiction stories because of just budgetary reasons you couldn't have a big special effects action show every week i think we're going to see what you could do as far as that goes very soon when shield starts 
Because I expect that mm -hmm. to be fairly big budget special effects. Al, I bet you they they probably will do what a lot of those shows do, is they'll have a budget for that stuff, and they'll they'll save it up for for big, you know, set pieces here and there. Probably. But you might get a lot of stories that are just intrigue. They'll 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 rely on the story and not a lot of you know. It, it'll, there'll be a lot of driving and shooting and fighting, you know, and and probably a few James Bond gadgets and stuff like that. But they but they you know, it would just cost so much, so much to to do it. And I think. That was maybe one of the problems with Battlestar Galactica and why we haven't seen another Battlestar Galactica since that came on. Because it was good, it was a hit. It probably just made a little bit of money, though, because they, they pumped all the money into the show. I don't yeah, know. I, I don't think I'm it made a huge amount on home video. I, I don't really see... I, you know, it still doesn't seem to have gone widely mainstream. It still seemed to be more of a cult thing. Uh-huh. So I could see where, you know, if it, if it was more mainstream, I think they would have made their money on the home video market. But it's, it almost seems like it ended and faded, and like I don't even see it in reruns now. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's Coruscant. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and, from this and the Alka Seltzer ring. <laughs> and we're back into. We're back into, you know, very. You can see the. St you could almost see the storyboards to this whole sequence. You know, it's 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 put together like. Yeah, it's it's definitely a very meticulously planned out, directed and edited scene. Mm -hmm. It's not this. This there's no uh, improv going on here. I like that uh, that computer readout. That definitely looks, you know, very very uh, state of the art. Now I don't know if, how it'll hold up over the years, but it, it definitely looks great. Well, I like how, I like how, you know, you you rarely see glimpses of just day to day life on regular Earth, on Star Trek. So I like how. You know, everything isn't future this or future that. If you see the windows in people's houses, they have regular glass windows, just like, you know, just like we did. See, yeah. they have, the, the, it's just like we did a hundred years ago. Yeah, that's a regular building ago. that you could walk into now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a few, like behind Khan, there's definitely a, a spoiler, that's Khan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I spoiled that already. <laughs> Um, there's a few modern space windows behind, just like we have modern windows here. I, I like that, and I like, you know, that thing, some things have changed, and some things, the design has stayed the same just because people like that design. Um, I think somewhat the cars, when you see cars, they're a little too much like cars. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you think in 300 years they're not going to be driving what they do now. And I'm wondering if this guy's working in basically in a library, what's he got the joystick there for? <laughs> and and we get 
the explosion. And then 9/11 moment. Yeah, but then you got the follow-up that almost echoing the scene before, with the uh, ring going into the glass, and then you follow it up with the ice cube going into the glass. See, I had a problem with this um, narratively because. It's only the second movie. You don't need to start showing us the same things you showed in the last movie. Kirk hanging out at the bar? Kirk hanging out at the bar and using that as the way for him and Pike to have a heart-to-heart. You know, an off-the-record heart-to-heart. And uh, although I like the heart-to-heart they have. Although Pike with those sideburns looks like Neil Young. (laughs) <laughs> I do like that, that Pike's uniform looks like the Star Trek the motion picture uniform yes they didn't just throw that away now see at this point I'm at this point in the movie I was like maybe I'm going to be pleasantly surprised because we're having actual character moments you know well, I, I definitely think you had a fair number of Kirk character moments uh, the Spock character moments I think some of them kind of failed a little bit and I I put I, that squarely on Quinto. I, I thought don't he, uh, like Quinto as Spock. I don't like the way Spock. I don't like the the new Spock. I, uh, as we get further on, I'll start being able to put more a fine point onto yeah. it. Yeah, the emotional Spock. Yeah, the 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 emo Spock is, uh, you know the. I mean, they've changed basically, both Kirk and Spock's. Um, psychology for this movie where they're both dead parent characters you know Kirk's Kirk's here with uh, and you know they're working the whole like this is you know his his stand-in dad and uh, and Kirk lost or Spock lost his mom so you're dealing with more potentially emotionally volatile characters mm-hmm. which does which undermines the difference between Kirk and Spock. It makes them almost, you know, very similar in a lot of ways. Whereas it, it puts them more in a Felix and Oscar Madison, you know, Felix and Oscar Madison sort of dynamic. I'm okay with that because the feeling I was left with was, how did they become such fast friends? And, you know, that even though they're fighting all the time, how do they have this deep emotional bond as friends? And if they weren't kindred spirits in some way, there's really no basis for a friendship between these two. Well, here's, here's where we come into something else that I don't like about this movie. And it's something that, that is a trope of modern movies. All right, Kirk and Spock in the original Star Trek, when the, in the original TV show... Um, you know, they, they had their history by the time we stepped in on that storyline, you know, and this is what's theoretically, this is sort of alter the alternate universe version of that. So in the first movie, there was definitely, you know, there was definite animosity between the two of them. And in this movie, there's really not a lot to show what you know they've only there's only been a little bit of time between the the last movie and this movie 
and Spock still pissing Kirk off. Spock's still kind of being a douche here and and throwing him under the bus. Which he actually used that term at one point. Yeah. And we, we passed that point a while ago, and that was one of the things, I, I when I heard it, I wonder if that's going to hold up, because that's an expression people use a lot now. Are they going to still use that down the line? You know, is that going to become a dated expression? Somebody watches this movie 10 years from now, is it going to be like, oh, that's so yeah. 2013, you know? It is. It is, because that... that that expression is pop it's been around for years but it's popular now and there's another thing where you know spot keeps calling kirk captain no that's that's not he that's not that doesn't stick with his character spock would not be making little weird i i don't want to call it a freudian slip but just you know not remembering that kirk's not his captain anymore uh, well, it's just the way Spock would would stuff stuff doesn't spl- slip Spock's mind unless maybe Pon Far is going on or something or alien seeds are embedded in his chest. Well, the first time he did it, he didn't know that he had been demoted at that point. That's when when Kirk advised him that he was demoted. Oh, okay, okay. And well, I'm not sure. Did he do it a second time? I'm not even sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, this so the second time would be the mistake. It's pretty cool technology that he's got basically the 3D image that they're able to scan. How many cameras must they have? <laughs> well, you assume it's some technology that's not multiple camera, that, that's some sort of satellite thing that, that yeah. can get all angles through through some sort of probe sort of, or something. Yeah. What'd you think of uh, Peter Weller in this? I love Peter Weller as an actor. I think yes. he did a good job as this in this really but he's really just sort of walking through it you know he's not playing a a shaded or nuanced character he is you know pretty much a 20th century hard-nosed military man you know he's he's got salty language calls calls Kirk's son you know we got to get those Klingon bastards and he's sort of out of place in Starfleet. Although we're talking about an earlier Starfleet here, and Pike is sort of in that in the same mold as this. But, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of story elements that I'm going to forgive because this is action trek, like to the point of that they didn't think that this might, that what Kirk just figured out there wasn't something that they could have considered, especially if they still are this militaristic. Yeah, Wouldn't I thought that was lazy writing a, a little bit. Meeting in the basement somewhere, you know, instead yeah, of... Yeah, in over- some sort of protected room. Not You, you don't just expose yourself to... Yeah. You don't, you don't all sit by open windows. Yeah, I mean, obviously, by the amount of military hardware in this, we have not reached a world to where we've sort of become soft and like, oh, well, we've forgotten how to fight or whatever, so we don't think of this. Here comes so, the die-hard moment. And... Here comes one of my first big gripes is is coming in up in in a few seconds here a little while here. Oh, yeah, Spock, this is uh, totally die hard. I mean, this movie is it references a lot of other movies just almost literally, which isn't bad in itself. Um I'd rather it would have stuck to stuff besides Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> now 
this just this is another thing that makes me not like the new Spock. The, it's it's the, the creepiness. Downright <laughs> ghoulish. It's it's downright ghoulish, and if if the, the Spock in the in the original series TV in all all Spock in the movies and everything, Vulcans are pretty are portrayed as they're they're emotionless and logical, but they sort of they 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 obviously have some sort of religious views and strong moral views and stuff, and I would think it would be repellent for a Vulcan. It, you know, they they don't do the mind meld just for shits and giggles. They're very serious about doing a mind meld because you're you're going into somebody's into somebody's brain and mind you, Pike's gonna die. That makes it even more creepy. It's like Spock like going like, Ooh, I'm just gonna, you know, creep in on this guy's death. Yeah. yeah I mean they they made it very clear right from the onset that a mind melt is a very very personal thing and then they emphasized it in the next generation when uh Sarek and and Picard m- melded uh, that that you know that was something that you just don't do casually but and Spock then, seems to do it at the drop of a hat he didn't do it in, a, in an attempt to save Pike's life he didn't do it in an attempt to comfort him he yeah, did if it he had in... done it to ease his pain i think that would have been okay and but yeah doing it out of curiosity to see what death feels like is just ghoulish yeah and it is and it's and it's just it's it's downright creepy it, it it's almost like autistic or something like i just wanted or, or not autistic almost like um sociopathic you know like people who kill animals <laughs> just to see what yeah i wanted to see what was inside of them you know <laughs> i just happened hey i just had this opportunity where a human was gonna die and i got my chance to to sort of snoop in uh it's creepy it, it is very creepy and i tr- i try to justify it in my own mind and I, I fail a little bit but i try to thinking from the point of view that he recently had a near-death experience he was prepared to die and you know had gone through some mental trauma with that and that's what basically made him want to know what it would have felt like had he you know had he followed through like I said, it doesn't really work, but that's kind of the thought yeah. process I put I, that I attribute it to. I mean, in the context of the movie, it's really there just to be referenced in that in a later scene when they're when they're on Kronos. And here's another thing that bothers the Trekkies and bothers me, but I was still willing to forgive it because it was new Trek. Is oh, all of a sudden they've it, you know who needs spaceships anymore now that Scotty invented. I'm glad they didn't just drop it and ignore it. That that you know, all of a sudden you can transport yourself across the galaxy, you know, to pass the neutral zone. So yeah, well, they they didn't drop it, but they also use it just conveniently. Right, right. It's a it's a plot element to to um to do this, and it's and and it's and if if you can do that. And they sort of hint, and and here's another thing that's another just reason to have this scene here is uh, Scotty's got something he's got to tell you. Yeah, why doesn't Scotty just call you up and say, hey, I got something to tell you. No, come here and meet me. You know, let's waste 15 minutes meeting outside. So if you've got this transporter technology, Harrison's transported to Kronos. 
This guy wants to blow him up. Why don't you just transport a bomb to Kronos? You know, and blow up the whole place. Blow, you know, transport bombs all, you know, in a circle around where Harrison beamed up and, and blow him up. Well, in theory, that's on the wrong side of the neutral zone, though. <coughs> right, but they're going to send a ship in anyway. They're going to send a ship all the way out there to do but something it's on, on they a can do with the transport. Yeah, sure. Sure, why not covertly transport all those missiles over there? Now, when we get further on, this whole the whole storyline that's going here, the whole conspiracy theory storyline, I think it could have been worked in a better direction in, in a better direction as we go further than than what it is worked at in here you know when it when it turns out when we find out what uh what his what Marcus's motivations are and stuff but uh you know so far so far though so good so good you know I like I like that uh you know there were a lot of complaints about Kirk wouldn't do this and wouldn't do that, but we're talking about a young Kirk. We're talking about a you know a more impulsive Kirk, a lot you know, and, so, and and you're supposed to see his growth throughout this movie too, right? It's not, you know, you, it's a young Kirk who by the end of the movie wouldn't make the same decisions that he did at the beginning of the movie, right? And uh, I don't see that though. I I see how they tried to convey that, but. I don't. I don't think they did it. Well, I don't think they they earned his character development. I think his character development was just sort of written in, rather than feel it, feeling. That's that's you see that's the thing that that there's, and it it can't it can't be this film's fault because we don't we only have one movie's history with these actors and stuff. But we have a lot of history with the characters. And they're trying to cram a lot of history in, in two movies. Because mm -hmm. they want to get them to the point where they have the relationships that everybody knows and loves. <clears throat> but with, with Kirk, one of the scenes coming up later, uh, and we'll, I'll point it out more later, but I think there was a scene where he gets them into a situation where he's, he's you know, it isn't the brash Kirk anymore because he's almost ready to accept that they're done mm -hmm. and uh and i think that's that's almost like a growth moment for him because he he's, he's humbled somewhat and uh, yeah like you said when we get to that uh, we'll talk about that well he brags more. earlier about how he hasn't lost a single person on the enterprise right uh, not one and uh we're gonna see quite a few <laughs> now one of the things about this movie one of the things about this movie and again like you're saying so far so good uh when we did our Into Darkness review, Sean Engel, I'm pretty sure it was Sean, uh, had hit on the fact that if they had made virtually the same movie and Benedict Cumberbatch had just been John Harrison and never turned out to be Khan, that he would have found it to be a much more satisfying movie. And I do agree with that uh, because my biggest complaints about this movie are the whole Khan aspect of his character. He would have actually been one of the better. He would have been a way more developed. Well, even even as Khan and his here, he's a, a way better developed villain than Nero was in the first movie. Nero wasn't even 
you know, that's the thing that no feelings for Nero. You know, well, if, you that whole read, movie. if you didn't read the uh, the prelude comic book, you really had no feel for. for you Nero. had no feel for who he was, but I mean, just as a character, I didn't feel any hatred towards him, or you know, you never got a chance to uh, to think of him as other anything other than sort of the generic bad guy. And they play with your perceptions of Khan here, and you actually, you know, have... I, I actually feel invested in him more as a character than... Way more than Nero. So yeah. oh, they, yeah. they, they, got that, they got that better. Well, it's, it's one thing, with the exception, I think, of Eric Banya in the first movie. In both of these movies, I think the casting has been phenomenally good. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, Banya, I'm not crazy about. But other than him, and even even him, there were, there were aspects. I thought Nero was an underwritten character. Oh, it like wasn't, I said, they, it they wasn't his fault. On, it, I they, don't think it was his fault. Uh, he was. I think he was trying really hard to chew up some scenery and get something going with Nero. You know, at least Nero was is crazed. You know, or something. Mm-hmm. He was trying to get something out of a character that was, you know, just, I mean, the writers gave him nothing, nothing to do but kill people and, you know, kill people and threaten planets. And which it it serves a function, but it doesn't get you emotionally invested. It's hard to get emotionally invested in these movies, which, you know, it, is partially, I think, the fault of the writing in the movies, and partially it's not the movie's fault because there's one of these movies coming out every two or three years, and there's no TV show to back it up. There's no, there's there's a history behind it, but not this version of it, really. You know. Yeah. So so the emotional attachment that you have to the characters and stuff. It's not as I'm not as emotionally attached to this Kirk as I don't really I don't have any really you know big concern over w- any of these characters living or dying like I would the originals. But that's because I had you know 30 years to grow up with them and watch the reruns over and over and over again. So they're fighting against that. So that's why I think it's even more important to have an airtight awesome script for these i i love scotty in this movie yeah he was he was great in the first movie as comic relief but in this movie he's just awesome he he's every scene he's in he steals he feels he feels like scotty they all i i mean with the exception of spock i'm i'm down with any of them i think Uhura's character is horribly written in here. I don't. I think, once again, it's not the actress's fault, but she's she's way out of line. Well, she's overwritten. The same way Nero yes. was underwritten, she's overwritten. They they emphasize her way too much. For the communications officer, she's obviously got way too much power and and is way too involved in everything that's going on in the ship. They're trying to insert her into the the core dynamic. Yeah, and, Between, they, and, they and they, at, at the expense of McCoy. Right, and at the at the same point, that core dynamic isn't even in effect in these movies at all. It's not really a, a... They they pay nods to it, they try to do it, 
but it's it's not working because the characters aren't right to do that. You need a certain, you know, fla- series of spices in the recipe to get that working, and that's okay. So you got different characters, and you and you and you work it more. It's almost more like Spock and Kirk, and McCoy has just become relegated to another one of the background characters. And that's the problem. If if you if you increased McCoy's role. And now you have him playing off Spock, and you have that that triple dynamic with the three of them, instead of having Uhura fill that third role. I, I think it, the movie would be much better served, and it would you you know you you'd have that you know angel and devil on your shoulders for each circumstance, right. you know logic and emotion, and then Kirk's got to sort it out. Right, but this Spock isn't logical enough. He doesn't fall into that that world as as much. He's he's this Spock is is. The sort of fifty-fifty going on some emotion, even though he may not like it, he's he's doing it. And I, you see, I think the problem with Ahura is, and this is, I am surprised I haven't heard any feminist dissection of her character, because it could go either way. It could go like, you know, I don't. I I think Ahura really oversteps her bounds a lot in this movie. And mm-hmm. that could be seen as being sexist by saying, oh, well, you know, you don't like it when this woman oversteps her bounds. Yet you've got sort of McCoy will talk to Kirk like that. She talks to Kirk like sort of like McCoy and to Spock. She talks to all her superior officers of it. And it's in their attempt to portray her as a strong – she's a strong woman. Yeah, instead of portraying her as just strong, though, they, they portray her as brash. Well, and 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 that's okay too, but at the same point, that brashness comes off as being out of line because you have a hierarchy here. You have your ca- you know, the captain, you have a chain of command. And she's always just sort of circumventing it and just sort of generally doing what she wants, which should endear to Kirk in in some ways. But that'll get you demoted in the military. It almost comes off as anti-feminist to me. For a, for one, we're in we're in the future. Men, there, the a lot of the men and the women stuff has been sorted out. There's not, you know, theoretically. I'm assuming this new trek is still sort of like that. That men and women are, are more are probably paid the same or whatever. And so for her to be like, hey, you know, don't treat me different because I'm a woman. That should be a non-issue. So mm-hmm. her being out of line is almost, and the way she's out of line is in a very emotional way, and it's a lot of the times has to do with her dating Spock and having problems with him and what he's doing as part of his job. And that makes her come off as being like the emotional woman, you know, or the, the, the nagging girlfriend. Or, or the, the woman who's letting her personal relationship stop her from doing her job. Yeah. Where, whereas Mr. Spock is not doing that. Her character is just a mess, and it's really weird because the original, like, very, they've kept the characters at least on the surface, the way they act, very close to the bone, except for Uhura. Because Nichelle, Nichelle Nichols was very soft-spoken. She was a very... She reminded me of, like, a hippy-dippy Earth Mother sort of you know mr spock you know what about love and and all that and and singing swahili songs she seemed you know she was playing the very nurturing 
you know, um, for lack of a better term, sort of like Oprah style, you know, that mm-hmm. like in in touch with the nurturing aspect of womanhood and and all that. Whereas this or her is this 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 or her has got um, ambition, <laughs> and and ambition, but also uh, possibly too high of a self opinion. Yes. Which and, and, I, I'm giving all of that, but I'm giving all of that lots of room because these are their, you know, uh, uh, McCoy is pretty much fully formed, but he's older than them. You yes. Know, these are all young guys. And so, okay, maybe, maybe Uhura softens up over time, you know, maybe Kirk, you know, becomes more of a Renaissance man over time and Spock gets his emotions in check over time, but... Right, I don't want to interrupt the, the train of thought here, but this whole scene here uh, with Kirk giving the authority to Sulu and talking about it afterwards really played to me like William Shatner, but not the staccato over-the-top William Shatner, the more subtle, yes. well-acted William Shatner. And I, I thought that's what Christopher Pine picked up from William Shatner. He didn't do a... a Kirk imitation so much, but he right. picked up on how he would deliver his lines with certain confidence and say them, and and I really thought he did a good job in that whole sequence there. Yeah, and that and that that line reminds me of a more mature Kirk. There's there's parts in here where he even looks like William Shatner. It, it, you know, I was he's a very modely sort of Brad I like Brad Pitt as an actor but he's got just a sort of college douchebag look to him <laughs> but he's he he does he works it really good oh it's the Millennium Falcon and the big middle finger nebula <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I kind of wonder about that moon I'd be worried about that moon hanging over my planet like that that doesn't look good. <laughs> well, does, is, isn't that the moon that eventually blows up in the undiscovered country? I, 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 would, I would guess so, but we, we don't know in this universe what the, the story is. It looks like it's already half blown up. It looks like it's about 15 feet over the surface of the planet. I, I like... I like Sulu's, uh, you know, he, they didn't give him too much of a character moment. It's pretty brief in the movie, but when they did, I thought he played it really nice. They gave him a really nice one. I like, I like the look on McCoy's face to, <laughs> as, as he's listening to him. I like the little grin that, that Sulu's got. And here basically is, is Abram's test real for episode 7 this this sequence really bothered me this is this is to where this is where i was start the movie was start at this point i was sort of settled in and going okay maybe i'm going to enjoy this maybe the initial reports were wrong because i i was thinking uh all right i've accepted i've gotten to that point where i've accepted star trek as an action film in the movies and this one, it, to this point, I think it's better than the first one. I think it's got more, 
more going for it. It, it makes a little more sense. A little bit more sophisticated in yeah, the storytelling to this point. Yep, to this point. And so I was going, maybe, you know, maybe this is not going to be what I thought it was going to be. And then this scene happened where, uh, and uh, here's where we get the convenient uh, Spock giving his, telling him about, uh, you know, peeping in Pike's back window. Yeah. And Tom in there. But, um, oh, what is it? What, what uh, voyeuristic. Yeah. And, and it, it serves to sort of make his point to these two. But to, if I was Kirk, I'd be like, wait a minute. What did you do? <laughs> Why did you do that, man? That's not, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's very unprofessional of them, of Uhura to, Wait till you're in an important mission. She's pulling a, um, um, what's it? What, what's her name from uh, Next Generation? The, uh, oh, uh, Marina Sirtis. <laughs> yeah, uh, Troy. Yeah, Troy. She's pulling a Troy and waiting till the absolute worst point in time to distract everybody. And, and then I see that scene there where you see the two red shirt guys sitting there on the side and it's like oh really Kirk's gonna let this conversation go on in front of some crewmen I don't think so back to the red shirt guys I liked how when Kirk says you know we can't get discovered and all of that he says take off those red shirts yeah so you know basically you say okay they're gonna survive the mission they make it yeah so this here is this is flat out return of the Jedi yeah and it's funny the sound effects of the Klingon ships alternately sometimes sound like um pod racers and tie fighters i've heard some little tie fighter sound effects that was that yeah was... i hadn't i hadn't caught that but yeah and so. i mean this is right i mean that sequence is obviously he's he was trying to give everybody a little nod to jedi but uh there's it's a nicely shot sequence. I wish he didn't have to move the camera constantly. It's just it. It's a, a little bit out of hand. I I like this scene where they. I think it's uh, what the hell are why the hell would the Klingons be playing their like cops? <laughs> you know, get out mm -hmm. of the car. This is <laughs> speaking out of a. A loudspeaker outside uh, that's just ridiculous but it, well, I, as far I as a movie goes it's it's makes sense you know from so. a motivational point of view you could see where you know ultimately they just plan on killing the the uh, inhabitants of the of the vehicle but maybe they want to keep the ship to see if they can uh, you know get some technology out of it so they don't want to destroy the ship so you get them to come out and then you kill them yeah, but I'm saying, why don't they? What I I don't I don't think if you were sitting inside a spaceship, you would hear their loudspeaker outside of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> You'd hear the sounds yeah. outside of a spaceship. I do. I like the sequence where the where the bird of prey lands though, and it almost spreads its wings the way a bird would mm -hmm. landing. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a nice touch. They look very like peregrine falcon, like without the big round. You know. Um, globe on the on the end of them right 
I'm wondering an, another sequence. I'm wondering if it's going to get dated over time when when the uh, Klingon takes off his helmet with the piercings because you know oh. piercings are very big now. But are they going to you know are they going to still be the rage down the line? Well, they were big in this time period of Klingons. I would see I would see piercings as being something like Klingons would do all the time. <laughs> yes, I see it you do it as, as kind of a medal of honor, like for each kill. Yeah, you pierce a ridge or something, and and uh, it, it it comes off as just yeah as very primitive. So I I don't think that'll be dated. I think what will be dated in this is the moving camera, the colors, the muted color scheme, and the like daylight blue. I guess you would call it whenever they're out in daylight. Everything's just sort of a shade of blue. The only time anything's ever really well lit is when they're on the bridge, and then it's overlit. And the lens flare too—that will date it. Well, he he didn't go as over the top on lens flares in this one as he did in the last one. No, I mean there's some, but he didn't a lot of it there. And my problem with lens flare is lens flare adding lens flare is like one of the most hilarious things I could ever think of. It's what as a filmmaker. You were almost always fighting all you could to avoid lens flare because that pointed out there's a camera here. Mm-hmm. It's the only reason you see lens flare is because it's hitting that camera lens and and bouncing off it. So it's it's not something you see normally with your eyes unless you have scratched up glasses or something. Um, I like that the Klingons are are ruthless bastards in this are like okay here's your story You're, we're still gonna kill you I was a little disappointed though that, that Kirk was kind of staying back when he was gonna kill her until Harrison comes in and right. breaks it up he was gonna let her die uh, that's not something Kirk would do well the, and and there, and you have emotional Spock and they've had just had their conversation and you'd think emotional Spock would have been on it too he would have been even more suited to tangle with Klingons and Kirk. Yeah, so they both should have, uh, you know, been taking to the uh, aggression at that point, and they were both sitting back. And then Harrison broke it up. A lot of this, and then basically takes out the entire Klingon troop by himself, pretty much. A lot of this is just written to to with uh, to serve the story. You know, a lot of a lot of stuff happens to serve the story, and I mean. I don't like it. I understand it just from the process of a Star Trek movie and the studio messing with it and trying to get the everything gets worked and reworked and and overthought out and you always and you can very easily end up with a mess because you need certain things to happen so you have to go back and like okay, well we there'll be a glaring example of that coming up in about a 45 minutes of uh you know, adding something that they're gonna bring back later, just like, oh, we better plug this in here. Um, I think I know what you're talking about, and that bothered me too. And uh, a- a- another problem I have here, and I don't, and I'm not blaming this movie for it. It's a modern thing now that we use CG all the time. Is I just don't feel a sense of danger here. I don't feel like when the Klingon ship was falling. I don't get the feeling of real thing, you know, falling out of the sky, pieces of debris, and 
and flame because they're not. <laughs> well, you see, I, I agree with you, but I disagree as to the reason. I don't, I don't think I lose that feeling because of CGI. I think I lose that feeling because of quick cuts. That they don't too. give you enough establishing shots, and they just kind of cut from, you know, one thing to another thing to another thing, and it's mostly close-ups, and you kind of start losing your perspective on the scene. So you, you start losing that feel of, of the immediate danger and what's going on. All you feel is quick action. Now, Kirk, the deductive genius who figured out Khan's plan to wipe out Starfleet, can't figure out right here that, you know, somethi there's something's up. If uh, That Khan was hinging whether he was going to give up on the status of those missiles. But he doesn't put yeah. the two and two of, of that together. And it's so obvious. I mean, it, well, I mean not, dialogue not is, is... Not only is it obvious that that's why he surrendered, but it's also obvious that if he wanted to, he could take Kirk, Spock, and Uhura yes. out. Yeah, it's like this Kevin I don't care Spacey that they have guns on him. Kevin Spacey in Seven moment, you know. Mm-hmm is you know puts himself in prison because that's where he needs to be to do do his evil work yeah and I, 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 I know it's not one of your favorites but uh the joker in the dark knight same mm -hmm. thing mm -hmm. yeah 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 it's becoming a sort of it's becoming a a, a theme in in modern things and oh this is what i don't think i don't know if i got to this but this is another thing of modern movies that, that happens in here is you have Kirk and Spock forging a friendship over years and years and years but in here they sort of already establish it that they're very very close even though there's tension in between them they they you know they're and it becomes almost more of a fate sort of thing and I don't like that but that's a lot in movies these days. You know, it's fated that Kirk and Spock, when they get together, they're going to be best of friends because that's how we know them, you know. And it's when you add, when it's just sort of they're fated and when you put them together, even though they meet cute and they have tension, that they're still, you know, dedicated to each other. It doesn't earn that, you know. It just, it's, it's there... And that was earned in the TV series over episode after episode after episode and, you know, backstory behind it. And Yeah, I think you needed to have some time pass between the first movie and this movie to yeah. accept that they'd have the bond that they're supposed to have. Now, I'm not sure exactly how much time is supposed to have passed. Obviously, they were on a mission at the beginning of the movie, and you got to think they had several missions before that that we didn't see. Sure. Because even Kirk talks about, you know, they didn't lose anybody. So obviously they've done something. But, uh, you know, I think you want to feel that at least a year or two has gone by and that they've had the time to really bond and become, you know, close friends. You see, I don't I, I don't see the need for that to happen. I, I wouldn't mind if they were still kind of at odds with each other in here. And, and the way their characters are, they still could be it. They, they should be at odds. Well, you could do that, but then, you know, I mean, that's the choice you make. Do you want to have them at odds through the whole movie and they still haven't formed that bond yet? Or do you want them to have that bond? But that's if you're going to have them have the bond, you've got to give them a reason or, or you know, you've got to give us a reason to believe that that bond is, you know, legitimate. 
that's that's the that's the big pickle with having we're we're in a unique situation here with Star Trek is a movie without a TV show running even if it's not the TV show that the movies are coming out with you know it's a it, this is a standalone thing and it just you how how can you build the characters over time when it takes you 3 years and hundreds of millions of dollars to make a movie you don't want to oh. spend your big budget on on the character development and frankly you don't have time to do it, it to the extent. And that's that's why I'm saying, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the montage sequence. Mm-hmm. But maybe you needed one to to show that they've had this time together or some sort of exposition where they're talking about the different things that they've done since the last movie. Like I said, then I can accept that they've had time to bond. Not just that they're kindred spirits and, you know, they feel that way even though they disagree on everything. Now here's, I think you, you hit it earlier when you mentioned the odd couple. Now, now here's the point where I would have been, I would have taken a totally different direction than the, than the right, not a totally different direction, but, uh, you know, Khan's starting to see, sow the seeds of doubt into Kirk here of... You know, uh, not really as to whether he's the bad guy in the whole thing, because Kirk hates him because he's, you know, he killed Pike. And he's he's starting to, you know, hep him to um, to Marcus and that Marcus has got this this secret scheme. <laughs> and I, I, I like I like the science fiction trope of having the space bar. You know that your 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 Star Trek version of the 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 Star Wars bar. It's great to have Scotty as the one who's in it too. Of course. So where else? I I feel sad for poor Deep Roy who has such a distinctive face and has to. <laughs> Where's that? Is that who plays the yeah. uh, Jim Hadar guy? Yeah. <laughs> Not that it would make any difference through all that well, he, makeup. And he doesn't really do anything. It's all. Scotty's reaction to reactions him that, that, to him that creates the humor. Um, but I would so so you have you know and and Kirk starting to figure out what's going on. Here would have been a total. You could have introduced the possibility of Khan possibly charming Kirk and convincing him, hey look. Everything I did, I did under duress of of um, Marcus. Marcus had seventy five of my people, and he was going to kill him. That's something Kirk can identify with as a captain, and said, "Hey, you know, if you want to put blame for for me blowing up that building and and then shooting up Starfleet afterwards." That was all, you know, Peter Weller's idea, and and he made me and he made me do it, in order to, uh, you know, to to save my people, and so I double-crossed him to get you know to shoot my people at at Kronos, but you know I was just operating under his plan. Then I mean, he Kirk does kind of have some that sympathy later. for. He, he sort of does that. When he gives the, you know, wouldn't you do anything for your crew, Captain? My crew is my family. I mean, we're going to come up on that soon. Right, but he, um, but he couches it all in 
the reason he struck at Starfleet was revenge. As Starfleet got him to, to develop weapons. All right, we got your, you know, now we got your weapons. And we're done, we're done with you. And then he got his, and, and so he attacked Starfleet. So that still puts Kirk, that still puts the murder of Chris Pike flat on Khan. So Kirk is never going to think of him as a, a real ally, you know. Whereas I think they could have worked this movie to where he and Kirk develop, uh, at least from Kirk's point of view, a sort of grudging friendship. They well, what this movie never does there. is it never creates that personal, deep animosity between Kirk and, right. and Khan. Right. Although and Kirk, Kirk hates him for killing Pike. But, but honestly, from the Khan point of view, Kirk is just a means to an end. He doesn't really care about Kirk one way or the other. Right. Uh, you know, whereas in, in The Wrath of Khan, you know, Khan blames Kirk for everything and, and is, is totally, you know, uh, obsessed with getting his revenge on Kirk. Well, at this point, I'm like, this, this is movie. Space Seed. This is the initial meeting between Kirk and Khan, and they have Khan alive at the end of it. So there's... There's a setup, so I doubt they'll do it in a movie because why use Khan for two movies? Maybe further down the line. But well, they do leave themselves that opening. So, so Khan and Kirk definitely, you know, can have that conflict, that that quote unquote history later on. But I think the history would have been more real and nuanced if you actually had Kirk and Khan have to work harder to solve this together and to develop a, a friendship. And then Kirk finds out later, oh, okay, it wasn't, you know, it, Marcus was doing this, but Khan did kill Pike, and that would change everything. And that would make it even more, you know, more dramatic, definitely. So, but... They they sort of they sort of hint at it, you know, when when in a scene further on that you know they're working together and they're helping each other out. Khan's already helped him out. Khan already saved their asses on Kronos. Right. Um, uh, but it just you know it it would have it would have developed it more from a character point of view rather for, than just sort of a serving uh, a story point of view ah lens flare lens flare lens flare the only <laughs> the only well lit well lit scenes in this are on on the bridge but uh i like this idea um i don't see why they had to eat actually on our they could have just had the bomb quote unquote go off these bombs aren't made to go off that, that well no i think Think that, I mean I think they are live warheads. They just have the just have uh, ex extra payload. Jeez, if I was Khan, I would have uh, disabled all those warheads with my people in them, <laughs> just on the off chance <laughs> that mm. something went wrong. But uh, well, I mean they they I think they mentioned later. I'm not sure now. I think they mentioned later they had him design these warheads. Oh my God, it's Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> But he uh, he put the bodies in there to kind of smuggle them out. Yes. But the Admiral didn't know the bodies were in there. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. 
That that was that was Khan's little scam. But if I if I put the bodies inside the missiles, I would have disarmed them too. Just uh, I'm and and another thing is these coordinates that Scotty uses to get here. Man, that's too few numbers <laughs> to navigate yeah, take... to a point in space. Yeah, that's true. I was just like, you know, this, uh, you can't look at this movie as science fiction. It's just not science fiction. It does. It's like Star Wars. It doesn't. It doesn't have to conform to any kind of scientificness or any kind of realistic interpolation into the future. Or just general making sense like, alright, we got this top secret Dreadnought class Enterprise being built. Where are the sensors? They, they don't sense Scotty just flying in and go, who are you? You know, what are you doing here, Starfleet ship? You're not, you're not registered. No. I mean, he's flying in among the others, which, you know, I mean, there should be something that would still know exactly how many ships are coming aboard yeah exactly that, I but... mean, if, if you were judging it generally by just like you had some air traffic controllers saw a bunch of ships in there but no i'm sure they have them tracked on some sort of radar and they're just like wait weren't you coming in with six ships instead of seven what's you know I, you which is would... exactly what they did in, in star wars though they just kind of like but that's star wars it away yeah exactly yeah, i know it's fantasy in in Star Trek, it should be there should be at least some sort of nod to Scotty going. I had to put the cloak on, you know, on this thing at the last second, but blah blah blah. So at least you don't have to think about that. But this movie from the last one told you don't think about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in, in theory, you know, you want there to be some sort of conceptual science fiction theory that you think of and say, wow, that could really happen, you know, which is not the case here. It's an action movie with high technology. Yes, this this is not an interpolation of our future. <laughs> it's an action. It's just an action movie set in the future. It's It doesn't... It, do, it really doesn't... Set, it, it tries to do nods of, like, oh, there's a little 9-11 in here. There's a little 9-11 conspiracy theory in here. There's a little bit of drone commentary in here, sort of, sort of, but it's not real. It doesn't really work into the theme of the movie. It was just sort of, just sort of thrown in there, you know, as extra, extra stuff so people could say, oh, here's here's our social commentary. You know, it's bad to, it's bad to just attack someone from afar. And right. we have our big reveal that he's Khan. Which just this was this should have been a big moment in the movie theater, but this actually that actually elicited a groan. The groan started yeah. here and It would have been better off if you just left off the whole Khan thing. Just make him some sort of advanced you know, guy and work from there. You could have even had him be part of the uh the whole process that created Khan, the, uh, I can't even think of what they called it. Like the Superman, genetic Superman project. Yeah, well, yeah, whatever they called it in, in the, the, in the uh, show, that, that he was a product of that and that that's how he got involved in this. But he could have just been a totally new character and, and just work from there. I, I, I really wasn't too upset about him being Khan. I wish the thing about Khan is Khan should be... Khan's in full revenge mode here. He's angry. 
But he's but, angry with Admiral Marcus, not Kirk. Right. Uh, but he's he's just angry. And really, Khan, the, you know, the Ricardo Montalban Khan, or any kind of leader of a group of Superman would be a charismatic. You know, he should be working his charm on on Kirk, too, and saying, look, I'm just a pawn just like you. We've both been... He is doing that, but he's doing it from an adversarial point of view, and he, he, he should be psychologically... They're throwing in a little bit of Silence of the Lambs here, too, that doesn't oh, yeah. quite work. Which you is, definitely have it the, worked uh, in the Avengers when they did it. <laughs> but you definitely have the thing where he's always working the angles and trying to figure out, you know, to stay one step ahead of everyone else, which for the most part, they allow him to successfully do. Yeah, because at this point, it's the it's the trope of you got the guy, you got the incredibly powerful guy, but he's neutralized. But now he's got to totally use just his words and his his psychology in order to get himself on the other side of that force field there and uh, I wish they would have done if they wanted to do a throwback to Star Trek I wish they would have had him running up against the (laughs) force field and having it going (laughs) Ah, I love that I did like the scene earlier though where uh, when McCoy comes up and just puts the thing on the uh, force field and it it creates the uh, hole for him to put his arm through I I was sort of expecting a Superman joke there where he tried to draw blood and broke his needle and Concept. Try again, Doc. <laughs> that would have been cool. Why not? There's enough references to other. And here we start having the conspiracy theory revealed. I like this scene. I like the way Kirk plays it. I like the way. Although I think he would have been smarter if he played more dumb. I think he's a little... But then again, we're talking about a younger, brasher Kirk. I wouldn't have played that I knew Marcus was up to anything. And I wouldn't have played that I knew Khan was... I would have been trying to talk my way out of it, obviously. I saw that dreadnought. But I think his thought process was Marcus wasn't going to back off if he played dumb. And he wanted... Because he had it broadcast over the whole ship. So he wanted the crew to know exactly what was going on. Yes. He He wanted to... By confronting Marcus, have Marcus basically confess to what he did. And I see that, but I don't know if that was necessarily the best move to buy time. At this time, <laughs> at this point, strategically, I would be like, gotta buy as much time to where as we can figure out, you know, how to get out of this situation, which he's sort of doing. But. I would have I would have left Marcus with more questions. I would have been like, "All right, well, we're getting ready to beam Harrison over and blah blah blah. We got the bastard. I'm sorry we didn't kill him, but we didn't have the chance to, you know, but a lot of shit in this Star Trek. Yeah, well, shit, son. <laughs> it's the uh it, there's almost a little uh Thunderbolt Ross in him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was on Dexter a couple seasons ago, and he was great as a really uh, disgraced uh, policeman who becomes a private investigator. 
he seemed I, I maybe they put more makeup on him. He seemed or maybe they uh put less makeup on him for that, but he seemed more gristled in that one than he does in this one. Well, he he's since RoboCop, he seems <laughs> to play the law enforcement man who's fallen from grace. That seems yes. to be his key role. He did, you know, basically he's doing it on here as an admiral. Did it on Dexter. He did it on Twenty Four as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So that seems to be his niche. I just like, wonder how this guy got a daughter with such a with such a fancy British accent. British mom. I guess, but it just Kirk, Kirk's cheek scar is almost a Starfleet insignia. Oh, you're right. Tell me where he is. They had to have noticed that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, I mean, that's all makeup art, so yeah. they must they must have done that yeah, intentionally. Somebody had it's to too exact. Spend some time doing that. There's. So he he bleeds Starfleet. I think uh, that that would be the message. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you think of the way they portray Chekhov in these both movies, for that matter? Because he's he's pretty consistent throughout. He's consistent. He's tossed away in this movie. He's he's really everything that he's given to do is almost just sort of like let's toss something in here for Chekhov to do. You know, we'll make him well, we'll we'll put him in charge of engineering or or something something like that. But uh, that's okay. That's Chekhov's. That's okay. That Chekhov's a supporting character. You know, and and there's a tradition in Star Trek movies of giving having to give all the characters something to do. Which is funny here because it's just sort of happening because of tradition now, not because there's people going, we want more Chekhov. You know, there was a time when, you, and and all the people from the TV show would be petitioning, you know, in the movie to get their, their amount of time in here. And mm-hmm. now they've created them. And now they're going to feel, the, I don't think the actors are going to have to petition to be like, I need more Chekhov in this movie. They're going to always put something... You know, at least a couple scenes for them to do something, you know. And this, I, and here's another thing of science gone wrong is, I just don't see warp drive as a tunnel that two things are floating through that you, that you fly out of. You know, it's more of a state. Well, Kirk's lost a few people now. Yeah. That must be, that's, that's a hell of a way to die. Sucked out of a starship in hyperspace. I'm wondering if if the tunnel thing that you were just referencing is almost a misreading of the wormhole from Star yes. Trek: The Motion Picture. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They just take they take something that was a concept and they transform it into a visual, and it doesn't really make sense. There was a point earlier where Kirk addressed the whole ship, where they just put random original series sound effects. In, in on it to be like here's some sound effects but those sound effects were not the sound effects that would have been in that spot you know they were just thrown in there because they were something from here's a reference from Star Trek yeah there's a lot of like just sort of misinterpreting of things it's almost their their view of hyperspace is almost a little like Star Wars's view of hyperspace um, yeah, it's a little bit of that to it, and and I, I think Abrams uh, didn't do himself any any uh, service by 
talking about how he wasn't into Star Trek as a kid and could never get into it. Uh, I think he would have been much better served by going the Nicholas Meyer route, who wasn't into Star Trek, but sat down with every episode and watched them all and tried to pick out what made it special. I don't know if he wanted to. I don't know if he wanted to, because the thing is, I think Abrams is perfectly capable of doing that. Well, um, And I'm judging this completely on Super 8, the movie Super 8. That movie had a heart. The characters had hearts in them. You cared about the characters. So he can do it. It was very Spielberg-y in, in, in all the right ways. And it was obviously you know a labor of love for him based on you know there were a lot of the kids were little filmmakers who wanted to grow up to be filmmakers so it was obviously he was putting a lot of himself in there and it showed and so if you don't have that that this is the kind of movie you get it's a technically good movie but man i just don't feel for i like all the character i like all the main characters and that's that's uh you know because of the actors this is the miss right we're coming right up on the misstep that i talked about earlier where kirk is basically giving up he's 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 admitting defeat here and kirk would never admit defeat well that just that just wouldn't happen well this this is this is kirk learning a lesson here no but that's see that's the thing is Especially Brash Kirk, as he's been shown in this, in these two movies, would never admit defeat. He would keep right. fighting yeah, until his last true. breath. That's true. And and maybe when, you know, somehow if he, uh, you know, he got through it because Scotty saved him, then he'd realize, wow, if that hadn't happened, we would have all died. And then he learns from it. But he would never give up. And and. Really, this is this is the second big situation in here where Kirk's got his ass saved by somebody else. Where he hasn't, he and Spock usually would figure out a way out. Here they've got, this is the second dead end they've gotten into that somebody just comes, you know, Scotty just comes out of the blue and the cavalry saves him. The first time was Harrison. Right, and, yeah, which, which he was going to let Uhura get stabbed. Also begs the question. Yeah, exactly. And, th- and that also, and Uhura would have been dead, and then the Klingons would have just blasted the hell out of their ship. Um, but this also begs the question: Why the hell didn't Scotty hit the reset before the dreadnought even went into hyperspace after them? Before it even, before it had a chance to cripple the Enterprise and blast the hell out of it, that would have made a lot more sense. Well, I'll. I'll I'll accept that maybe it took him that long to to, to get to it to, to do get it. to it and do it, but because we don't know exactly where he was and what he was doing until right. that very moment, so right. to the exact perfect timing moment, which is, I mean, that's 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 a standard Star Trek trope. So that has nothing, you know, TV sh- series, movies, everything. There, that's always the case. Again, admitting defeat, basically. I, I don't like that. Even the seasoned Kirk of William Shatner would never, you know, would never admit defeat. Yeah, well, there, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of these characters just sort of going and reacting reacting to the situation rather than taking control of it. And a lot of times, Kirk and Spock would be taking the control of the situation. You wouldn't even know it. They, yeah. you know, and then, then when a certain point would come out, their plot would be revealed or whatever. Now here, all right, they get the information from him and they, they strike a deal for him to help. They don't need... They, I, I, I just don't think they really need... If I was Kirk, I would be like, there's no way I'm... It, and their characters are the way they are in here. I wouldn't be like, all right, let's get this guy, set this guy free and go. I would figure out some other way to do it. They got He got the information he needed from him. I'd put him back in the clink. Yeah, put him back in and grab, you know, yeah. five security officers. They, Although, they, 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 I mean, they're, they're method. Now, I'm going to interrupt my own thought here. Why would, why would McCoy be working with the Tribble right now? Exactly. Oh no, no. That that uh, here That's we have just a thrown in there. Is, is that what you were talking about earlier? Oh yeah. We have this serious dialogue between Kirk and Khan where something very important's happening, and it just cuts away from it in the middle of it to have McCoy go. I'm uh, doing this and doing. He's doing it totally separate while this conversation is going on. You know, everybody in that room would be watching that conversation and watching Khan. And meanwhile, McCoy is just doing. It's just. It yeah, you, would, seems you would not like, conduct scientific experiments during this type of crisis. It seems like it was not there. Scotty looks like an imperial officer running through the Death Star. <laughs> um, that, yeah, it. That's 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 a huge misstep right there because that's just that does just does not ring true. No, we're 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 running it. We're we're very rapidly approaching the part where I'm going to start taking the kid gloves off and start getting a little hostile towards this movie because we're we're getting to the point where the script's going to go into free fall. Now, despite <laughs> the criticisms no I've given so far, I'm, I'm still thoroughly enjoying the movie at this point. At this point, yeah, I'm still thoroughly en- not thoroughly enjoying it, but it's start- the cracks are starting to show for me. But it's well, this, not... This- we're walking into a crack right now because we did this in the last movie. Why are we yes. doing it again? Yes, they're they're doing a lot of things more than once. They even reference that it they did it before, you know. Yeah. And uh, okay, so it's okay to be meta and everything, but um, really, what it, it turns out in the story, yeah, they kind of did need Khan to get over to the other ship and stuff, but that's not something that they were going to know was going to happen. There's, in, in the logic of what Kirk's doing, why would he want to take Khan over into that ship? I guess the, the logic is that, that Khan is familiar with the ship and Khan has every reason to want to, you know, to get revenge on Marcus anyway so that they could, use, you know, basically that he could, uh, you know, Take advantage yes. of, Khan, of Khan's hatred of Marcus right now. Yeah, 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 and that's that's why they would choose. I would not weigh that as being a good enough, a good enough reason. See, in my script at this point, they would have been buddies. It, maybe yeah, Khan would have been would have playing up the buddy trust thing, him. but Kirk would have start been like, I kind of like this guy, and 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 Kirk would have been pissed enough at Marcus. To be transferring some of that rage over Pike's death to Marcus, and 
you know, we would have found and we could have found that, hey, Kirk and uh, and uh, Khan work really well together. You know, Kirk and Spock and Khan get get shit done and uh, and watch each other's back and have a little bit of energy between them. You know, Kirk's try Kirk, Kirk. The, the scene where Kirk's sort of looking over at Khan and they're sort of, he's not really joking around, but he's being, he's trying to be sort of light about it and Khan's just being, no, Kirk hates his fucking guts here. He he should just be giving him the steel eye back, you know. Okay, you know, we're working together now, but don't get too comfortable. If they had written it in a way where right now Kirk believes he can totally trust Khan and that Khan's got his back, it would give the misstep that they're about to make with Scott Prime, with Spock Prime a uh, little bit more resonance when he starts saying you can't trust him, he would kill you, you know, for anything. What a nice word misstep is. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? Well, it's... Uh, travesty is another word I would probably choose. And you know what? I'm okay with the cameo appearance by Leonard Nimoy. If he went to talk to him and then Leonard Nimoy, or excuse me, Spock Prime said, I swore an oath that I would never tell you your future. I'm sorry, I can't help you. And it ended right there. I would have been okay with that. Because now you have... It would have current- been great. And have him hang up on him and then have a shot of Spock Prime in his house just going, oh shit, you know, or wherever he's living now, you know. Yeah. And you know, I I know they're in in deep shit, but I can't help them because yeah. it would change, you know, it would change the, their destiny or future or whatever. I you know they have to live it out themselves. Yeah, and have him being worried without you know, but at the same time having to be, it, it him telling them is a big cop out. It's a big cop out. Yeah, it is. It is. I I I think that's you know, like I said, it's it's not. Despite the fact that I like the movie, I'm I'm never gonna say that this, that it's without flaws. There's definitely some big flaws in it. It would have been it would have made more the, sense if they were. It would have made it would have been it would have blunted the blow a little bit if at this point Kirk and Spock were friendly, or or Khan and Kirk were friendly, and it was a revelation that Khan should be somebody that's watched out for. But really. I can't figure out what the hell old Spock told him that did him any good. Really, they 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 do the off-screen like I'll tell you how to defeat him, but goddamn that it, whatever he told him to defeat him wasn't something that makes any sense cuz they come up with the the plan that they come up with, but it has not that plan has nothing to do with Khan's character. You know, no. something that you would tell, you know, you could tell, I mean, there's obvious things Spock could say is, you know, this guy's thinking 2D, you know, and not 3D. That's, that's something that they figured out in Wrath of Khan. But if, instead, Spock goes, here's a plan where, how you can fool him. And that has nothing to do with, that's just like, here's an idea for a plan. It's not like, oh, I'll fill you in about Khan and give you something you know, a little hint, you know, that, and then you guys can fill in the blanks on your own. It's just, it's just horrible writing. At this point, I'm still, I was still enjoying the movie. I was still, I was enjoying the fact that Kirk and Khan were working together, and I was like, all right, this is different than Space Seed. It's different than Wrath of Khan. It's a different Khan. I'm, 
I don't know why it has to be Khan, but it's okay. I like his character. Um, yeah, I, I I would have been much happier if he just wasn't Khan. Yeah. Yeah, it was I, silly. I, that's it was, that's my biggest gripe with the movie is he didn't need to be Khan. It's it's I don't know if they believe that just because everybody goes Wrath of Khan is the greatest Star Trek movie, that doesn't mean we want it over and over again. We no, already can, got I it. I can always watch it. I have I have the Blu-ray. I can pop it in anytime I want. Mm-hmm. 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 There's there's uh, uh, just treat us. Uh, God damn it! Oh, in the movie theater, face palms. Literally, people just going no, <laughs> no, and it's so bad. TV show cameo. Well, you know, we don't. Uh, it's okay, Leonard. We don't even have to bring you to the set. We'll just come and set up in your living room. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think that's exactly what happened. At this point, Leonard Nimoy has said he's totally retired. He doesn't yeah. want to do anymore. And they, they must have talked him into it. Look, in we're suit. going to do it. It's going to be done in two hours. You're going to, you know, we'll come to you. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, like you said, bring some makeup people. Who's the androgynous woman on the bridge there? What the heck role does she have? Because she's scary looking. I think she's only androgynous because she's bald. I think if she had she's, some hair... She's she would... also got, like, the kingpin's body. Well, she's got she's got a frame on her, but if you put some hair on her, she would look like other women that have that frame. With the, with the bald head, it just makes her look like a bruiser. But that's okay. I like it. She's got, she's got personality. And she oh. never says a word, but you notice her, so I guess so. Uh... Yeah. Tell me more, Spock. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing. He looks up like it's a big surprise. It's He's ruthless, big... really? Is he? And and this is also Spock talking about a con that, you know, developed in a different world under different circumstances. You know, all while in Space Seed, Khan was a prick too, so. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was ready to to suffocate all of them. So it's not like he was a good guy until he was on SETI Alpha 5. I like, there's a scene, there's a shot here, I like the, this one here where Khan just sort of kicks off one person and and flings a person into, an, into another person, I like that. But uh, the camera moves in this scene are just are just ridiculous if you if you really pay attention to like how the camera moves in scenes like this it's normal camera moves but a lot of the the static shots if you if you if you turn off paying attention to the movies and the camera moves it's just ridiculous but to jj abrams credit they're edited together so it 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 moves it it makes sense but I think that will be that. This see these see these shots like this, and then and then it sort of rocks back a little bit, and it's rocking back and forth. Those are gonna, those are gonna, date this. But all the Star Trek movies have elements that that uh, dated. And I like that line of "I'm pretty sure we're helping him." I thought that was a mm-hmm. that was a good line. So we're an hour and a half into it, and. It hadn't really jumped the shark for me at this point. No, not at all Good. for me. I mean, there, again, there were there were points in it that 
that let me down or were disappointing or head scratching a little bit. But overall, I'm still thinking this is a solid movie. I'm I'm still drinking the punch, but right now I think you know the writers are are unbuckling their belts and getting ready to take that big dump. <laughs> I'm still not there yet. Um, um, it's this, you know, when we get there, there's a five minute sequence that I feel is a total just crap on you fest. You know, when you sit down and you eat a me- like, it, I I was thinking about this last night as I fell asleep and and I and I made a mental note to remember it and then I forgot it and I just remembered it now with just our conversation here is, you know, when you sit down and you eat a meal. And it's a really good meal. And then about three quarters of the way through it, there's something like kind of crunchy in there. <laughs> but it's uh, whatever, and you just keep eating. And then you're almost done. And then you look down at your last spoonful, and there's like half a roach in it. <laughs> Up until that point, it had been a seriously, seriously, uh, you know, it had been a, been a good meal. Well, uh, are you going to remember that meal as a good meal? <laughs> or is I, the meal that put you in the bathroom puking for the rest of the night and then you'll never eat Mugu Gai Pan again, you know? Pretty that's brutal sort of, way he just snapped a leg. That's sort of what happened to me. I like that he's a, I crush your head. I'm crushing I, yeah, I don't know why he doesn't just snap his neck, but... No, he likes to crush skulls. Yeah, he's a head-crushing guy. Yeah. But I, I, I don't think it's as quite as bad as finding a roach in my uh, good meal. I think it's more like, you know, I'm having a nice piece of chicken or veal and then at some point I get a piece of grizzle in it. Oh. Yeah, it's enough It's enough to, to bother me and disturb the meal, but it doesn't ruin the whole thing. I can cut around it and I can still enjoy the rest of it. That should be the title of this, the subtitle of this, Gristle or Half a Roach? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's our difference right now. You found a half a roach and I found some grizzle. Yeah, right now I'm still just, uh, right now I'm still chewing on the legs, but I just think they're just something, you know, oh, I just got a little stem off a piece of broccoli or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the realization that I got that I just ate half a roach has not dawned upon me yet. Oh, I didn't hit on it when when we got to the scene, but uh, Peter Weller gave a speech, not nearly as good as, but I thought very reminiscent of Jack Nicholson in A uh, Few Good Men uh, just a little while ago. Yeah, remnant, definitely, yeah. <laughs> and this, this is, I thought this was well, how he basically gets Spock with logic. I don't understand, though, why he is, why he, he's just going to ruthlessly kill the Enterprise crew. Because technically... Even in Psycho Khan's mind, he's he's settled his score. He's settled his score. I would want to send the Enterprise crew to go back to tell Starfleet what's, you know, hey, guess what? Your dreadnought ship is now in the hands of Khan. And at this point, they still they have so much leverage with those 75 um, crew members in there. That they just okay. So supposedly, I guess this is the this is what old Spock imparted onto them is whatever he imparted onto him was what initiated this trick. 
I guess it's to you know to play on his overconfidence. His overconfidence, but but damn, you didn't need old Spock to figure that out. No, no, you didn't need old Spock at all. At there was no all. reason he had to be in the movie. And if you decided you needed to have him in there as a cameo, I say you do exactly what we talked about, and you have him say, "I'm sorry, I can't." You know, I gave an, a, a a vow that I wouldn't tell you. I can't. You'll have to figure this out for yourself. Good luck to you. <laughs> and he's gone. And then you cut to him, like you said, he's shaking his head and sitting down for his uh, I meal. Mean, a somber moment, yeah, a somber moment of reflection. Or have him show up at the, with a starship at the end. He might not be able to tell him about Khan, but I don't see why he couldn't come and take a few pot shots at him. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. But once again, you're going to have to get Nimoy off the couch, which I don't think is going to happen. No, absolutely not at this point. I think they uh, they said it was it was kind of a big deal that they were even able to get him to do a cameo as a voiceover. He didn't even physically appear on uh, The Big Bang Theory. Oh, jeez. And, and here's another thing is I don't think they established well enough how close they were to Earth. All of a sudden, no, no, they Earth didn't. This, that falling. was a little bit of a surprise, yes. We got knocked out of hyperspace on the way to Earth. So how we get so close to, you know, how, how did we get so close to Earth? Yeah, you would figure you'd have to come out of warp considerably before you'd reach the Earth's atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And they were knocked out, so they hadn't even completed their journey at that point. Right, right. And then they were just sitting there. So, so that's a, another convenient plot point. Yeah. All right, we're, we're, we're quickly approaching the uh, my jump the shark five minutes. Yeah. Can we stop? It just... It makes... It's... I... F it, the writing actually feels... And I'm not one of those fanboys who's like, oh, they're spitting in my face and and doing that. But man, it's almost like they're trolling me here. And when 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 this gets going, it's almost like they're trolling Star Trek fans. And I don't think they are. I think they just are totally don't understand Star Trek. So now we're gonna get all that stuff where they're like oh you like star trek right here's here's this 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 <laughs> and and we're supposed to jump up and down and clap our hands like a, a kid because it's like they think what we like and maybe when i say we i don't speak for all star trek fans but i think a good proportion of star trek fans don't like star trek because we're gonna see a tribble because we're gonna hear a certain line because we're gonna see something literally familiar, you know. Well, I, I think I said in, the, in, the, in our original review, I prefer my Easter eggs to be a little bit subtle. Yeah. And some yeah. of the Easter eggs in this day whacked you. They, they're banging. They're, they're beaning you off the head with the Easter egg. Yeah, yeah. If they were 3D, they'd be on the end. If, if I didn't see this in 3D, but they would have it on the end of a stick and just be poking it right under your nose. And I like to think Star Trek fans are usually a little more i don't want to say smarter but more intellectual you know yeah. about about it they're they're more into the the science fiction aspect of it so when when you're starting to tell them oh here's what you like about star trek it's all it's things that look like this and things with this name 
and now that you see it see that's see it see it we're putting it in there for you and it gets me mad <laughs> I, I yeah I didn't see I don't get mad at it I just I love kinda, I roll my eyes a little and I move on and I've had 30 years to watch it so that's what you know I don't think I have like I don't expect the writers of this to have an innate sense of Star Trek if they have it but god damn it how hard is it to find writers who've been watching Star Trek for 30 years and love it Shouldn't you know <sighs> I do I like that in this sequence they answered one of the criticisms of Star Trek that's gone on for years and years and years as soon as they went into free fall they had very cool seatbelts coming in and hold them all in place yeah for once they which that's something everybody always said how come they don't have how come they don't have seatbelts in the in, on you know on the enterprise that they always fall out of their seats every time something happens yeah for once they paid attention to the science and they're like all right the the enterprise is in in earth gravity now so when you tip it in space you can tip the ship sideways nobody's gonna slide around but But at this point, there sh shouldn't the ground be just covered with bodies of people who've gotten tumbled to death? Oh, yeah, it, it uh, should be littered with them. But Obviously, the inertial dampeners are uh, offline. And, yeah, and in the movie theater, I was feeling just this impending sense of doom here. Just the, Just like, no, 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 here's where all my reports from... The people who saw it early in Australia are coming true. <laughs> well, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. <laughs> See, to me, this is still, you know, Kirk going over to try and get the ship back, the warp core online and all of that. That's roll my eyes a little bit, but I'm still okay with it. Yeah, still, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it hasn't jumped the shark yet. No. no even though I know where they're going. You're right. At, at, at this point, I was thinking to myself, it's logical anyway, you know. Kirkwood, although Scotty wasn't really acting as if he was going to go in there with him, so I don't see why he had to knock him out. <laughs> I yeah. think Scotty would have been totally willing to just not go in. Give the radiation comment. <laughs> yeah. All this... It it, it still kind of makes sense. Um, this... this movie of course he's still alive at this point but this movie is about to write itself a lot of checks that it has not earned and and um you know kirk kirk okay kirk is gonna make learn humility by making a sacrifice that's not even a sacrifice well otherwise he would be dead right Right, it's a it's a sacrifice. Even sacrifice though you can't even make. though he doesn't know it's with no at this point he doesn't know it's going to be with no consequences, you know it, it proved that he was willing to pay with his life. Yeah, that's what it that's what it comes down to that he, yeah he was putting everyone else he was putting the needs of the many in front in front of the needs of the few or the one. And I'm glad that they didn't didn't uh, have their merry way with that. Well, they do. They did hit on it earlier. Yes, but line. but that yeah in the, in the in the very 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 first scene. But they could have really, 
you know, they could have done the whole thing of bringing it back for the, during the death scene and all this. Well, you could have, you could have, uh, you know, really beamed you up the head with an Easter egg as he's kicking the walk core and have them say, "I've had enough of you." Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> great. As as Scott McGregor's pointed out, there's another opportunity for that coming up, too, in in this one. I would have, if I would have filmed this, I would have put a little more, uh, that was a funny, weird iPhone being held sideways shot earlier. I would have put more wiggle in the air and made this room look really toxic and radioactive. Mm. I I love the, uh, the little thrusters on the ship. Yeah. And I, I love the the soundtrack. Retro rockets. The, the way the uh, the way the score works here, when when the ship goes through the clouds, and how it goes silent until it comes back up, and then it hits the the notes again. I'm a sucker for well the played. Enterprise in in Earth atmosphere too. I love the way the Enterprise looks in Earth atmosphere. So, it's a it's a neat scene. But at this point in the movie, I wasn't even like I was in such a state. And of anticipation of the horror that I was just like, oh god, here it comes, you know. Yep. Okay, we've now officially hit we're, the five. The five. My my five hated minutes have started. We're 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 going from where the writing turns to suitable, decent action writing. To a horrible fan service travesty of garbage, garbage at the level of fan fiction. Yes, at the level. I, I have of fan to for fiction. this for this five minutes. I have to totally agree with you. There's no there, to me. There's no redeeming value to this. They, five they minutes. did not earn this scene. They did not earn this scene. This scene has to be earned. These have to be two old friends saying goodbye to each other, being forced to say to e- goodbye to each other through a wall. And it's just, it just, it just ain't so. With well, and and also there's there's very little original in here because it's all aping the other movie. Uh, when it, when you do get something original, you have Kirk saying he's scared, which again I don't like. Kirk Kirk shouldn't be afraid. He really Kirk. looks like Shatner in 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 this scene. But yeah, I mean, really, there's to to. That the Wrath of Khan scene chokes you up because you have these people with literally the actors had 20 years experience with each other, and at the end of that movie, Spock is dead. They shoot him out, they shoot him out the side, you know, they have his play bagpipes and shoot his funeral out the uh, you know, his, his casket out the side of the Enterprise. And this one, you know, you know, Kirk isn't gonna die. You oh, you knew Kirk exactly what was gonna, gonna happen. I mean, and Nimoy was like, "I don't want to play Spock anymore." So when Spock died, it was just like, ah, you know. Yeah, Nimoy you, you thought maybe way. it was because because he was never gonna agree to play the character yeah. again. So you might as well kill him off. Shed a tear. So this is. So why would you take something so emotionally wonderful like that, and then do a Hollow Man version of it here? And if you're gonna do, but if you're gonna, then really do, you know, don't cheat. Think about it. You can't. You can't have him die, and then bring him back. If you're gonna have him survive, have him survive. Or if you're (laughs) gonna have him die, have him. If you're gonna die, then bring him back in the next movie. But uh, but uh, you know what? They came up with the science. 
they came up with the science fiction. Here with the hands together, I do like this, how Kirk's hand goes into the Vulcan, uh, live long and prosper. I do like that. But uh, with with in Star Trek Three, at least they came up with a science fiction basis for Spock to be rejuvenated yeah. or, or yeah. reincarnated or however you want to say it. That at you know at least with the science fiction logic that they had, it it made some sense. This he's dead, and they and, came up and with have this... magic blood bring him back to life. It's just such a it's huge a cheat. cheat. It's a it's cheat a... that's that's so cheap that. You know, it sets up the whole thing of like, oh, okay, so death is done now. <laughs> yeah. So much for death. And the one homage that I did want to see here that I didn't, uh, and I think I mentioned it when we did our review, was I would have loved it if he just kind of looked up and gave that same oh my that oh, I know. Shatner did. You know, that, that he basically was seeing what was on the other side. That would have been kind of witty. And and I think it would have been subtle because either you would remember it from the other movie, or you wouldn't. And there is no reason for him to yell Khan here, no, no. reason whatsoever. It, it just it, it that that made me just like oh I hated that. But now as soon as that's over, my five minutes is over, and now I like the movie again. Yep. Nope. I'm, I hated I'm, that five minutes, but I can jump right back into it. So now. you can take that roach right off your fork and just finish <laughs> off the meal. <laughs> Not me, man. I want my money back. I cut the grizzle out. <laughs> I wrapped it up in my napkin, and now I'm eating the rest of my meal. Oh well, you know, I mean, I the, there's a certain logic to that, you know, but at the same time, I can't get over it. I really at that at that point, I was just like, "Fuck you, writers," you know. Yeah understand that I, I can't you know i can't tell you you're wrong but i was able to like i said i was able to, to to cut out my grizzle and wrap it in a napkin and now i'm watching the movie again uh dr bill uh, mentioned to me here that uh apparently the, the ship takes out uh, alcatraz as it's coming along and uh there was a comment to the effect that that might have been a uh, commentary by jj abrams because he wrote or produced that tv show alcatraz oh yeah probably man and, and look at all the hundreds of thousands of people dying here look at those whole buildings just yeah, which couldn't have possibly have been no back. they didn't know that they didn't know he was coming they couldn't have people are just milling around on the streets as normal you would have think there would have been alarms out with two two giant starfleet ships battling and and plummeting towards the earth at this time, but nobody really noticed it until until the last second. And here's another thing that 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 they just don't get is in this movie the character of Spock is just he's reduced to his emotional beats and then he's he's really served no purpose in this story whatsoever except to just do things where he's needed them to do whereas spock was the, a problem solver and and now he's just reduced to the action hero who goes and gets a guy by chasing him down and beating him up and not even beating him up too well but of course even, i mean not, they they have established that that khan is far you know, far beyond the normal man as far as his 
fighting ability. And and his ability, not so much his fighting ability as his ability to take punishment. You know, that, that whole scene where Kirk is beating on him and he doesn't even feel it. But yeah, he actually, Spock even in the fighting ability, because he took out the Klingons. So, yeah, I guess they did do both now that, you say, now that I'm saying it. physically the most well-suited to go after him. But it's just, this is what Spock's been reduced to. Running and chasing and punching and, and shooting. And... Would you just send one guy down? No, I would have sent a whole... Would you team. send him with a team of security officers, maybe? I would have sent him with a team of security guards with big guns. Yeah, and I would have beamed him in front of him and back of him and all sides of him. And I would have been... And I would have been radioing Starfleet ahead and saying, Look, you know, John Harrison's on the ground. Get out of security force. Oh, just... All right. And at the same time, we need Khan. We need him alive. No, you don't. You have you have seventy-five bodies full of of Superman blood. It's the ET moment. Oh look, yeah. ET's still alive. It's just such bullshit. Now, but now, I would even be able to be okay with this if they established he was. They weren't going to be able to save him, but he was still alive yet. He had not yet died. Right. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm really bothered by the fact that he was dead. Yes, that 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 will actually bring him back from the dead. Yes. Yeah. I, I find that to be a very disturbing plot point. I I, I kind of like this action sequence with the two of them though, fighting on Coruscant. It's okay, but uh, that that was a total George Lucas shot of the phaser go, but the the cutaway shot of the phaser, is just like all the cutaway shots of the lightsabers bouncing off. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is a very good Star Wars movie. Um, I like I like that the Vulcan nerve pinch evokes a lot of pain, but he can fight it off. Yeah, I like that too. But yeah. You know, this movie's in free fall. <laughs> nah, see, like I said, I'm, I'm back on board. Uh, it. Try and crush his skull. I didn't even realize that uh, that he that he's mind melding so that uh, Khan can feel the pain of it. I, somebody pointed that out in in the review that we did, and I thought that was kind of a, it was almost subtly done. I like it. I guess that's what maybe he was doing, but at this point, uh, and why, and and and, and that was very star- episode two right there. It's, I, I don't sign on to Star Wars for running and jump, uh, running and jumping and fighting. You gotta earn it. You gotta earn it, and. And if I want to see running, jumping, and fighting, I want to see Kirk doing it. Yeah, that that is <laughs> one point I can agree with you on. I, I really don't want to see Spock as my action guy. I want Kirk as my action guy. Well, I mean, we always wanted Spock as the action guy from the original series because he wasn't the action guy, but you knew. He was like the kung fu master that you knew he could just take people apart. But he wasn't going to do it unless he absolutely had, you know, unless the moment was absolutely right. And then he would just go in and do what had to be done. But at the, for the most part, Spock, 
situations were solved by figuring out something intelligent to do, you know? Yeah, he something. had the physical ability, but he, he used his brain. Yeah, and and there's absolutely no reason to beam Uhura, the communication officer, down. <laughs> well, because Uhura has to be in the middle of everything. Cause right. She's, you know, that's the way she's written in this series. And again, I I, I mean, if, if they had the trio of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy... McCoy never would have been the one to beam down at that moment. So I, I agree with you. There's no reason that she should have been. No, they. they I mean, really, it should have been some guy. <laughs> yeah. Should have been security. Well, maybe, maybe Sulu even. Even Sulu with his. Uh, yeah. His his space uh, lightsaber thingy. Yeah, and and Sulu's actually had a little bit of little bit of words with him too. So. Uh, and Kirk's alive. Hey. What a surprise. Nobody, nobody saw that coming. What a surprise. I I really do like McCoy in this in these movies though. He's so he's so great the way he delivers Carl his Irvin's lines. He's a great actor. He's a great actor. that's that's another thing that pisses me off about this is they got they did the work of casting it really well. They got a good director for it. They they put enough money in it to make it look gorgeous, and then they and then why is is Bob? Are these writers Abrams' friends? Is it, I'm, he sure, was I'm like, sure they are. Yeah, did, did they get the job because they were his buddies? Well, if so, then they can eat a bag of dicks because <laughs> it doesn't serve the movie. It serves their their paychecks and stuff. But you know, I don't care if you're if you're a filmmaker worth your salt. You hire somebody who's the right person for the job. You don't hire your buddies and then say, "All right, you know, try and figure out the Star Trek thing," and they go, "Oh, they like tribbles and this and that and this and that." And like tribbles, we'll throw tribbles on the table, eh? Anybody, yeah, it's could, a good anybody, Star Trek movie. It's got tribbles. <laughs> anybody could have written this. As far as an action movie goes, it's a it's a it's a workable action movie but there's nothing r really special about it in that respect so now give me a little exposition right here saying that they cannot synthesize the blood any longer and that there's been some sort of a ruling that they can't keep these people in cryogenic storage against their wills forever and that the court has, has ruled that they need to be put somewhere, and Kirk comes up with SETI Alpha 5, and they send them there. They could now, So now, now you, you have the potential specter of Space Seed, or, yes. or rather the Wrath of Khan, and you don't have the problem that now they've solved death. I, well, they, could have, they could have had a throwaway line when he, when he came back to life where they were like, you know, yeah, we... we this worked, but if we ever gave you another injection of this, it would d totally destroy your body, or something like that, or you know, or, or, or it was touch and go, and and you know, we gave you this stuff, but you you survived from you know one percent odds or something like that, yeah. And but even even that, yeah, one percent odds maybe, because now you know what happens tomorrow if Sulu dies you just give him an injection and he's okay sure and and as a matter of fact you don't even have to tap it off those people because he said he synthesized it yeah 
So once you but got that's... it synthesized, you plug that into your computer and you can synthesize that stuff all day. And that's why I say, you know, you got to have some reason why they, that they're incapable of synthesizing anymore and those bodies are no longer available yeah. to them. They're doing that one movie. Last movie it was Transwarp and this movie it's Con Blood. It's like just, you know, introduce something that ruins a lot of the basic concepts of how the universe works and then... They they sloughed off the trans warp as like okay it, it disappeared, the intimation was it disappeared into the Star War Star Trek, you know um, um Black Ops sort of you know the Area Fifty One area so then that but Khan got it to do that. Uh, I would have thrown a little bit more romantic tension in the scene with Kirk and Mark and Carol Marcus there at the end. Kind of give you a little foreshadowing of the fact oh, that, that they'll have a baby together at there's, some point. Yeah, there's no chemistry between them. There's nothing to say that they're going to they're gonna hook up other than the fact that Kirk hooks up. With everyone. With, 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 <laughs> with every single woman available. And another thing, that, another thing that shows that they just totally do not understand Star Trek is having him finding... Finding some way to tie in the way that he says the space the final part. This is the, you know, captain's oath. So that well, means that means the captain of SS Garbage Scow went. You know, well, he, no, the here's the way I'm reading this. Garbage Scow. I'm reading this that line as he says, the you know, as we say in the captain's oath, and you cut the scene right there. Because that is quite clearly not the captain's oath. Because no. the captain's oath, oath would never have the words, these are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. In well, I, I figured it was the captain's oath was, these are the voyages of the starship fill in the blank. And know, it's and five year mission? And then they'd say, yeah, it's not every starship has a five year mission. No, they'd say, and that would be another fill in. They could fill in the blanks of all of that or whatever, or it's ongoing mission to pick up garbage from the universe or whatever. But it's not an oath. It's not an oath. An oath is a swearing to do something. And they do, do sort of swear to go boldly go where no man has gone before. But it's That's... not an oath. It's a statement of purpose. And you don't need to horn it in. Just just have just have the movie end and have space with, with Kirk saying space the final frontier. And then the Enterprise flying off. That's all we need. That's all we need. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm giving it a little artistic license myself. And the way I'm viewing that scene is he says, as we say in the Captain's Oath, and that's the last you hear of that ceremony. And then when you hear the spaces of Final Frontier, that's not the Captain's Oath. That's just the end of the movie. I'm not giving these writers any artistic licenses. Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that, would, that was their that intent. Would... I'm saying that's how I'm looking at it. Yeah, yeah no, no. I, I refuse to acknowledge them as, as being artists. They're they're flat out craftsmen, craftsmen slash businessmen. They're they're there to they're there to turn out a money that make or a movie that makes money, at which they did. What I don't understand about this movie is it's sitting at like 90 percent on the tomato meter, and um, the the Man of Steel movie is down in the dump dumpsters. Now I don't like I didn't like the Man of Steel movie I, I I can't say which I dislike more because I love Star Star Trek I think it's a better movie but it pisses me off more than Man of Steel because I'm more invested in it than Superman but 
it just really surprises me that the critics did not pillory this movie did not just tear it apart for that last act and i think maybe it has something to do with they just like jj abrams better than Zack snyder and i understand that <laughs> i like jj abrams better than as a director better than Zack snyder i consider him actually a director but i i think this movie is just way is way overrated in Critically, I don't understand how it got such. I don't understand how Star Trek Nemesis got the the fair critical drubbing that it did, and this movie, which I see as very much like Star Trek Nemesis, as a half-assed, half-assed remake of Wrath of Khan, with in in the form of an action movie. I think that's what they both were. Yet that movie went down in infamy, and this one, they were like, "Oh, it's a good, entertaining movie." Ugh. Well, I'll I'll give this one. If, if I'm if, playing devil's advocate a little bit, I'll give this one higher props. And I don't even, <laughs> I guess you know, I'm I'm too easy on these movies because I have things I like in Nemesis too. Uh, but this is a prettier movie than Nemesis. I'll give it that right off the bat. Oh yeah. Uh, this movie contains far better acting yes. than Nemesis. Uh, the actors are, I mean, by that time, the actors for Next Generation were a little too long in the tooth, and they weren't acti- action dire- actors to begin with. So they just look silly doing an action movie. And I think, I think Cumberbatch is a charismatic villain. So I think that counts for a lot, too. Yeah, he's a charismatic actor. So yeah. So, but I think I think you know you you know, those things all add together. So that's that's how I'm I'm viewing it. And again, you know, this movie is far from without flaws. And I think we've 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 hit on so many of them over the course well, of this thing. The, the but, nemesis vir- villain was more reminded me more of Nero, in a lot of ways two-dimensional yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I, I would agree i mean i i, I don't sort of the dislike tom i don't dislike tom hardy as an actor but i don't think they gave him a lot to work with really despite the the what they said they did you know they, they talked about how they were going to try and create a con type villain and they never did they never gave him <laughs> the depth of character that well that, they wrote that him a backstory had. but they didn't earn the the resonance of you know this this was a guy with a chip on his shoulder but you know I mean that's the thing is we we knew what the chip on the sh- we 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 experienced what gave Khan his chip on his shoulder in Space Seed or the you know at least the be- what really gave him the chip on the shoulder was um <laughs> you know their their planet dying but you know we actually saw that history so it meant something so when you have when you try to recreate that history with just a brand new character it's it ain't gonna work what they should have done in nemesis is brought somebody back from the tv show or or just give somebody a more rich history that you actually see in that movie as opposed to just paying a little lip service to Mm -hmm. it yeah just having him show up and be like revenge yeah i mean you you can do you can do the 
deep villain that you've never seen before. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, what's his name, Kevin Spacey. Uh, you could, I mean, they did it in Seven, and they also did it in The Usual Suspects with him. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, even even Hannibal Lecter, even though his character had existed before Silence of the Lambs, if you, most people who, you know, when Silence of the Lambs became such a big movie, I think the majority of people had not seen Manhunter. Right. Oh no. Right. Or even and if you it. think about what what little screen time he actually had, I mean, right. considering he won Best Actor for that movie, he had a shockingly low amount of screen time. Well, that's but ca- he, but he gave such a a, a you know a, a layered performance, and his character was so well written that that exactly. he just stood out. It was so, so you, well you, written, acted, and directed, and you felt his history brain, even though you didn't see it. Yeah, your brain filled in, your imagination filled in the blanks of why Hannibal Lecter was behind the. You know, now it's a trope, so you put somebody in the in the special room, but the the you know. When you saw that special room and saw all the protocols that you had to do to get this this old you know this sort of old middle aged guy, and you know the actual fear from all the people who were handling him, you you started really picking up on that, and it was masterful, and that's why he was such a an amazing villain, and. He was, he was, and they they played him light until the very end when, and when Hannibal goes on his rampage at and si- Silence of the Lambs and escapes, it's horrifying because you've been building up to that and building up to that through the whole movie, and you you you, you never you you were just starting to imagine what he was, and, and he was an, another actor who was incredibly charismatic, mm-hmm. and and you despite yourself found yourself rooting for him in some way and then for him to be as brutal as he turned out to be you know it it, it kind of smacked you in the face right. a little bit right and then you know so so it can what my, you know my whole point is that it can be done without having you know picking somebody from the original series it just has to be really well written well when it comes right and down acted. to it yeah it comes down to confidence and if you're a confident filmmaker and and a lot well, you know I I talk about this as if J.J. Abrams was as the the director of Star Trek Into Darkness. He's the director of it, but at the same time, a lot of the cowardice and lack of confidence is going to come from the studio. You know, being like, I don't know, we're we going to make a lot of money out of off this. So instead of being like, all right, we got a good director. We got this awesome science fiction writer. We got this and having the confidence of like, let these people do their work. It's like, do we have enough explosions? We better get some more explosions in there. I also wouldn't be surprised if Paramount said, we hear what the fans are saying. We want Khan as the villain. Right. Go ahead and make a movie, but Khan's got to be the villain. I I wouldn't be surprised if that was, you know, Mm -hmm. if if that didn't happen. I. Yeah, that, I, I I would be surprised if that was all that happened. There, so I mean, and if that's the case, you can't blame Abrams for using Khan. What I blame them oh, for I is don't. doing such an over-the-top recreation of Wrath of Khan when you know 
that's not going to, you know, that's just not going to fly. And yeah. and even with the positive reviews, I have yet to hear anybody say, oh, I, I enjoyed that sequence immensely. I haven't heard one person say that. Not 90%. Maybe we'll get an email from somebody who did. I don't uh-huh. know. 90% of, I think, the trouble with Star Trek movies and the whole history has been the studio. You know, wanting yeah, wanting to recoup their money and not being confident in the franchise, but with Into Darkness, yeah, they got themselves some leverage and they got them they bought themselves some uh, they made a shit shit ton of money on the first movie. It's a critical success. People were pretty much they even got Scott Gardner to go like ah you know on second thought it's okay for what it is. Which, to me, I was amazed. That's a huge victory for them. Yeah, that's a huge victory. And they got all this goodwill, you know, with the general audience and and a grudging grudging acceptance from the hardcores. And they could have... And three quarters of the movie, they were like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to continue with this because everybody seems okay, okay? And then that... The final quarter was just a mess of like, oh, not really. No, not really. We're <laughs> going to try this and this and this and this. And I dropped that f- flat on the writers. Flat on the writers. Because if there had been writers who'd understood Star Trek and how it worked a little better, they could have wrestled this into something epic, you know, into something. And when it comes right down to it, you know, last last week, last Monday, we did the um, not when we were recording this, but you know, when when you hear this, the last week's commentary was the Iron Giant, and uh, both Scott and I watched that twice in the in the preparation for the commentary of it because we'd put off the recording of it, so we watched another refresher of it. And both times I saw it, that movie put a lump in my throat like three times. And they were all three times where the, the, the robot was referencing Superman, you know. Mm. And it, it, it made me think about this movie and Man of Steel and thinking, were there any scenes? There were scenes in, the, in both of those movies where even though I didn't like the movie, I could say that was a pretty visually nice scene. But... I can't think of one there's there's a couple actually in into darkness that are bordering on like that was a really good scene well acted scene between the characters and stuff but there was never in either of them that chill you know you get a chill about something where you go oh that's there the the enterprise is going there it goes off into space woo you know um <laughs> The moment that was set up for that and in darkness is when the Enterprise comes up through the clouds. But at that I time, that was I well wasn't. I was yeah, but it didn't. I it didn't make me go whoa yeah. It filled me with the wonder and emotion that that you get filled with. You know, when in the Iron Giant, there's a scene where they're flying, and the giant's got the kid and the and the kid's like, put your arm out like Superman. You know, and the Iron Giant puts one arm out like Superman and fly, you know, speeds up. And it sent a chill up and down my spine, you know. 
and then right. and then there was a scene where the robot was explaining to the kid in pantomime you know that he wasn't a weapon he was good like superman and it was bringing a tear to my eye and that's what those movies should do that's what those movies have in them that's what those the characters and the ideas of these movies have to evoke in people and that's what makes it me so hostile when it's not evoked (laughs) when when it's just to the point of good enough you know i've been entertained enough i got my money's worth and that's that's okay but i don't want that from star trek you know i i did accept it more from star trek i'd accept it more quietly and grudgingly if there was a tv show that i could watch where i could go okay i can still watch you know the you know little star trek pals on tv and 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 get my get my dosage but i'm not i'm not getting my fix man well i i mean i do think that it's almost a, a a given that at some point there will be a new tv series I, I don't think I, I don't think it will be starring this cast. No, I don't think it will be Star Trek: The Original Series revisited in any way. I think it's going to be more along the lines of what they did with Enterprise and Next Generation I'm and wondering all if that. Well, they'll come up with just a new universe. concept for it. I wonder if they'll set it in the New Trek universe, or they'll just go ahead and do one. Oh, I think it's a. I also think it's a given that they'll do it in the new universe. In the new universe, because because it's it's easier because it's it's un. You know, un, uh, un, un, I can't think of the words now. Unexplored? Uh, un- well, that's Does not what I-, I was looking for, but an unexplored country. Uh, it's just uh, an area that, you know, that they can go to that, that hasn't been mined yet. Does have the baggage and, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. Fresh. They don't have to worry about the continuity except for whatever came from this. And you know when they come <laughs> up with the series, though, there will be the callback episodes and Easter egg episodes and revisiting certain yes. topics. I mean, that's a given that they're going to do that, but you know, it can be done well, like uh, trials and tribulations, which I heard you guys do the review on that, which I love that episode. That's, that's the episode. I really that enjoyed that episode. me on deep space. I, I hadn't really watched deep space nine until that episode. And then I started watching it regularly after that one. And I, I actually really enjoy that show. And it came from that episode. I may, so, start, I, mean, you, I may start watching Deep Space Nine actually to see see what all the hoopla is between the naysayers and the the lovers of it. Because I, I did like that episode. I would say more than any of the other Trek series, it had a continuing, ongoing narrative that went through the whole series. Mm-hmm. It was less episodic TV and more. Uh, more long, long uh, form storytelling, uh, and the first two seasons were definitely you know a slow burn to to create some mythology for them to work off of, and it really took off when uh, when Worf joined the uh, cast. Well, and just that-, that we can talk about it like that—that that, like there was actually a TV show that was given the time to go two seasons to develop itself. That's awesome, in a way. I, but I, I think that's almost, except for the original series, I think it's almost standard Trek fare. I think every show took a little while to find its legs. 
Oh, I think the original series sort of was off and running and then yeah. lost it in the third season. But yeah, That's definitely with uh, Next genera- Generation, it took a couple seasons to, to, to actually begin to settle in. And yeah. things wouldn't get that, you know, think one season now and you're done if you're not burning down the world, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, but I think every, with the exception of the original series, every Trek series had that same learning curve where you needed to learn who the new characters were. You had to, you know, they had to develop their own personality and become three-dimensional yeah, characters. had to become comfortable in the role, yeah. And, and it took a season or two for that to happen with every one of them. Had to figure so. out the the tone of each show, but and the only the only one of the spinoffs that they didn't have the patience with was Enterprise because that only went three seasons. But I, I actually thought that was a, a a very good show. I I enjoy all the track. I'm kind of excited that they've announced that Abrams is not going to be on the on the next one. I'm sure he'll be an executive producer or something, and right. he may. He may end up having one of his guys become the new director, so it's going to be carrying, you know, his vision a little bit. So I just don't, hope don't they put it yet. <laughs> I just hope that means the end of his buddies, the writers, you know, and they bring in some some new, new writers. I mean, it was no surprise when he announced that, you know, that was the biggest non-surprise in the world that that he would not be doing the next Star Trek movie. Because how are you going to do that when you're making the Star Wars movie? Maybe uh, Mike Potet is available. Oh, that would be that would be awesome, but but extremely uh, unlikely. Yeah, but sadly unlikely. I'm, yeah, he's got my vote. Yeah, we, 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 but he's he, got to crawl he, over he my dead the, body the, first because I <laughs> I'm getting first crack at it. He's got the uh, two true freaks stamp of approval. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, that was an example of his short story that I read. That he his Star Trek short story. It got it. You know, I was. It's one of those things I've described this before, you know, somebody sends me some of their art and it's like, okay, I hope I like this. And I started reading it because I'm like, I'm like, I don't, you know, I like to give honest reviews of things. And then about three pages in, I was like, oh, good. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this. Actually, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's the way I felt with Jose Rivera's with book. Jose Rivera's book. Because I, I read it and, you know, I, I like Jose and the last thing I wanted was to be, well, the last thing I wanted was either to dislike it and have to tell him I dislike it, or dislike it and lie to him and, and pretend to walk on eggshells. Goes, it was very but, interesting. I but liked- I, I actually enjoyed reading it, so it worked out fine. You know, there was no issue. And you know, I, I had another friend who wrote a book, and, and I, you know, same thing. I, I was afraid if you know, what am I going to do if I don't like this? But I really enjoyed it. Now I'm going to probably uh, take the time to sit down and read Tom DJ's book, and hopefully the same thing. I'd love to to be able to give a positive review, you know, because I really believe it, and I think that probably will be the case. It sounds very interesting from the uh, the audio preview he made of it. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. That's a good idea. Doing a nice little dramatic recitation, and I hear Jose Rivera's hard at work on the sequel. Yeah, I know he was whether it's a sequel or a follow-up, just a follow-up. Well, follow-up. I think I know he was on the fence as to whether he was going to do another short story anthology, or if he was going to go for a long-form story. Or long-form. So I, I I don't remember. I think he said which he had decided on, but I don't remember what his final decision was. I'm sure it's 
easier to write short stories? I would think. Takes us time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Writing a long form story, it, depending on what kind of story you're writing, is. But yeah, I mean, a, a full novel takes research, and you know, if you want to be accurate and everything, you have to study things and. And you, and you need to write have, and rewrite you need it. to have act. Basically, you you can get away with a short story that's a one act story. Yes. But in a long story, you know, that's that becomes a much more daunting proposition because now you want to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and uh, you know, it, it I, changes the whole thing. I don't know how writers do it. The thought, to me, the thought of writing something like a three hundred page novel, and then going through and going, okay, now for the second draft. <laughs> Think about a guy like Stephen King, who was putting, who was so prolific that he was putting out so much work that the that the publishing houses wouldn't wouldn't even print his stuff anymore because he was oversaturating the market yeah. so much that he had to end up coming up with a, a, a second a name to, to put out books under just because he, that's because he he's a natural it just it's part of his being it's just like you know sit that's what he does he sits down and writes whereas if I I would have to like you know map out the time and force it would be like exercise you know whereas where Stephen King is like the Schwarzenegger, he's just like it's it's joy, it's probably joy to him, or if yeah. not joy, it's completely necessary to keep him from going crazy. So he's got to do it. <laughs> and a, a few years back, a buddy and my a buddy of mine and I sat down and we started writing a screenplay, and we we never did complete it. But I could see where I would be one of these people who would never be quite satisfied that. Okay, that's the finished product. It's done. Yes. I would be constantly I would be doing, you know, 20 years later I'd still be doing a new draft of it. I'm the opposite. I'm the opposite. I would write my first draft and then I wouldn't want to I'd be done with it and sick of it and not want to work on it anymore. Yeah, well, I, I don't think I'd ever hit the point. If I did that, it would be grudgingly saying, "Okay, you know, I I got to finish it because it's got to be done." I wouldn't ever feel Okay, this is as good as it's ever going to get. I would always feel like, no, I can make it better. Let me sit down with it a little bit more. Yeah, and then you become George Lucas. <laughs> well, yeah. And then, and then, some. Sometimes your first in instinct is the best mm -hmm. one, and you should just leave it alone because you didn't make it better; you made it worse. But I might be a victim of that if I, if I had ever followed through, or if we had ever followed through and actually completed it. Well, we we basically got into the, you know, we drafted it. We had the whole kind of plot laid out and we were starting to work on the dialogue and everything and then life got in the way and we never finished but I don't know that we would have had the uh, the avenue to show it to anybody that might have produced it anyway mm. yeah well you know I'm in that quandary right now because I have a Star Wars script in my head and I thought to myself should I write this <laughs> mm. because I think I personally think it's fantastic I think it would make a fantastic movie and then I'm like I could write it my friends are going to read it <laughs> you know well, yeah, I may still that's, do that I may still it. do that just to say that I did it but you know but what would I what would I who would I you know how do you shop you know how does Joe Schmo shop a start I guess actually we're in a unique point in time where maybe Joe Schmo could. 
well, shop I Star know. Trek Star Wars script because there's going to be no, more Star Wars movies. But the you know the, realistically, the odds of you know, hey, you write a script, nobody's gonna want to read it because they don't want to ever get sued if they ever if it's ever perceived that you know yeah. they copied something. That's that's probably your biggest hurdle right there. Yeah, so is to get somebody who has the ability to do something with it to read it. So my quandary is now I just write it for myself and for other people to read. But if I wrote it for myself and there was even that one in a billion chance that it could be made into a movie, I wouldn't want anybody else to read it because I wouldn't want to spoil it. Because <laughs> oh, a Star Wars script, you're not supposed to know about what happens in them until they're made. I am spoiler adverse, but if a friend of mine wrote a Star Wars script... You'd want to read it? Yo, yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, maybe maybe off, not. maybe off air we'll talk about it, but it's in blue harvest mode right now. So, um, no. But when the time when the time comes, if you if you were comfortable with somebody reading whatever you've written, I would be happy to sit down and read it. Oh, I'll tell you the story to it, but just once we're done recording. So actually, we should probably just end the episode right now at one of the most important, exciting parts of the. Uh, well, in my ego-driven mind, <laughs> the podcast where I'm about to You're about to the, blow the lid off the whole Star Wars universe. Yeah, and and uh, so we'll just say, well, we gotta go. <laughs> um, Good night, everybody. The, yep, and the synopsis for the new Star Wars movie comes in three, two, one. Sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. 
We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.